Get jazzy on it. I'm that flight that you get on. International. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Be There in Five podcast. I'm Kate Kennedy, your host. This is an episode of the Under the Influencer series where roughly once a month I try to in, uh, interview different modern influencers that all have influence in different ways and expertise in different areas. It can provide us a unique perspective on an industry that I think solicits the most intrigue and that we always want a little more insight into and to understand what goes on behind the scenes. This is perhaps the best behind the scenes scoop I can get because we're lucky enough to have Jen Lake on. I'll tell you more about shortly. Uh, I am coming at you live from New York City. I have a show tomorrow at Caroline's, and I'm very excited. I Last time I lived here was literally a decade ago, so what a joy it is to recap the decade and uh, be on stage and have graduated from my glorified bobby-pinned bump it that didn't work for my Be There in Five head back in 2010 and never will. I'm, I'm glad I've moved on from flared jeans. I think I was still wearing halter tops and going out tops at the time, and I think there was an era where I was more concerned with like my sky top, bedazzled halter, tube top, the ruched sides, or like... Ugh, I need to show you guys the outfit I was wearing in, when I met my husband. Uh, I thought I was Serena Vanderwoodson. I was wearing a like silk romper with tights, which I guess I, I salute my foresight in terms of the the longevity of an outfit that is one piece. Though at the time, given that my uh, my uh, repertoire for a classy third party vendor to meet friends or boys was, mm, I don't know. It's it's kind of like you know. Yelp is a star rating of an amalgam of, you know, things with food and ambiance and drinks and whatever. I, I should have started a Yelp back then, but like the uh, barometer is how sticky the floor is. Because typically the stickier the floor, the more often I went. I was a, I, I, I frequented, uh, you know, Fiddlesticks, Gatsby's, Dorian's, these, these spots that are, you know, as douchey as they are delightful. And, uh, I am just so glad that one day I can show my kids the disgusting olive-ish silk romper that I met their father in that I have preserved to still have the Bud Light stain running down. It is a little funny now, like, I don't know. I just, like, you just, I'm upset. Anyways, I need to, like, talk about going out clothes a different day. Why am I even talking about that? Oh, because I'm in New York, right? Um, And, like, I went out to to dinner tonight, and it's, like, now I feel, like, sexiest, like, dress like I I could deliver a keynote. Anyways, guys... If you're new here, the Under the Influencer series, I, I, I interview different influencers with different you know, proficiencies, areas of expertise, uh, categories of blogging, perspectives, whatever, uh, because I think it's so fascinating to sit down and talk to the people that are always delivering so much content that they would appear to be talking about themselves often, but they're actually really not. There's a lot of questions and behind-the-scenes stuff that that it would be feel gratuitous to offer up, but it doesn't mean it's not interesting, and it doesn't mean that people don't want to know it, so I love to sit down and interview them in a long format. This episode is two hours, but most of them are, I believe, in long-form podcasting. I love it. Joe Rogan does it three hours a week. Um, I just really think that there's a lot to be gained from depth, and we live in this world that prioritizes brevity over all else, and I am just not that person. I love of a long, a long talk. So, you know, grab a glass of wine, do some dishes, do whatever menial task one does when they do a podcast. And I hope you enjoy this conversation. I learned so much from it. And I'm just like forever wrestling with so many aspects of, uh, you know, influence, especially as I get further into this vague space of like, what do I monetize and when and how? And I just like think there's such a fine line of like, you know, getting selected to do stuff or brand collabs or pitching yourself 
like what is hustling and what is thirsty? You know, what is a, an amalgam of consistency and a slow burn and, and slow networking over time that eventually you just become top of mind versus, you know, putting yourself out there so consistently it's borderline off putting, but it's ultimately effective because those of us that like wait and sit in the dark and drink wine and wish we got invited to more stuff aren't really getting as far. It's, it's fascinating. And then all the while I'm just trying to get Arby's to notice me and I feel like they're, you know, just like we get it. You love a beef and ched. We're not interested. And it's like when you guys are all telling me that you you think Arby's is akin to a blimpy. And I feel like Arby's is telling me that I'm off brand. It's a hard pill to swallow. I have a lot of thoughts. And I try to not ask too many personal questions because I'm fishing for information in this interview. But inevitably, you'll hear me talk about my own experience because I've had a hell of a time trying to figure out how to crack the code for this biz. But Jen is incredibly successful in so many different facets. She has uh, her blog, The Style Charade. Um, which she started only in 2015, which isn't that long ago considering how far she's gotten with it. And she also does it on the side. Like it's so uh, put together and curated and aesthetically incredible and high quality that you would think it's her full-time job and it could be her full-time job if she wanted it to be. But she actively chose to stay at her nine to five or really nine to nine, more like at NPR probably, um, in public relations where she works at Zapwater, which is a integrated marketing communications agency that does all sorts of different marketing services. Uh, but she works in PR and a lot of what she does is align uh, her clients with influencers that will be best suited for their campaign's objectives. And specifically a vertical that Zapwater is particularly strong in is travel and hospitality. And so she coordinates a lot of influencer trips and uh, identifies the influencers for them. And she just you know, has all the behind the scenes of what I am obsessed with in terms of like, I mean, I, had all, I have all the questions about influencer trips and she gives us such interesting uh, scoop. So it's really cool to have a perspective of somebody who both uh, professionally understands what it takes to get hired and rehired and to make it as an influencer professionally to the point where you know you're getting paid and you're working with like serious brands but also being one herself and she talks about balancing that too and how it's making it not a conflict of interest and her being transparent with your company which I actually thought was really helpful too there's so much here you know, not only for people like me, you know, well, I guess I'm kind of both in terms of I just am like lurking from the outside. I'm like, I want to know, like, well, do you get paid for that? Like, how do you get picked for that? How, what's the contract like? What if you are bad at it? You get invited back. Like, I just want to know the scoop. But then I also want to know, like, professionally <clears throat> in terms of effectively building my own career and leveraging platforms. Uh, so I think it's helpful for people that are trying to balance a side hustle and a full time job and kind of determine the ultimately ultimate trajectory of doing both. It's so interesting to hear from the perspective of somebody that loves their job and has no intentions of leaving it. Uh, I, you know, I'm a big proponent of keep your day job until your momentum and growth is so high. The decision makes itself. People are always like, when do you know? And I'm like, oh, you'll know. You can't, there, you have no choice but to pay more attention to the high growth thing. But in Jen's case, she has such an expertise in equity and, uh, and, you know, really important career to her that she's, wanted, you know, in the field she's wanted to do her whole life. And I almost think that it supports the argument for like uh, sometimes things really work when you don't need them to. And it's able to really be maintained as a passion. And uh, it doesn't lose a lot of its uh, joy and mystique that kind of can go away when things become overly associated with your occupation. But anyways, we'll get into all that. Anyway, I'll, I'm excited to see a lot of you at Caroline's tomorrow. Well, it'll be tonight by the time this episode's out. Uh, tonight, 7.35, uh, and I just, it'll never be lost on me that people are willing to pay money to hear me talk to them in person. 
I am kind of taking this on the road, not because I think I'm good at it. I have a long way to go. I'm very, very nervous. Uh, I just want it to be worth people's time and money. But beyond that, it's like not really about my content. It's more so how like incredible it is to meet you and see that you're real. And after two years of doing this and not really seeing people receive anything on their end, and you know all my hopes, dreams, fears, and regrets, but like I want to know you too. And it's been really great to you know kind of bridge that gap and I just yeah I hope those of you are that are coming have fun and I hope I can meet as many of you as possible and Chicago is more of like a neighborhood theater so we made the rules but at venues I don't make the rules with meet and greets and they have to be organized and you have to pay for them and it makes me feel weird and you know the whole ordeal and I if I could meet everybody I could but apparently it would be a cluster and the venues aren't into that but you know hopefully we'll at least interact I like to do an open Q&A at the shows uh, so I can interact with people it's way more fun that way so Anyway, moving on to the episode, um, the first half is more about like uh, her background and blog and uh, things of her as the influencer. And then the second half is more so putting on her PR hat and talking about influencers objectively. I hope you like it. I had so much fun talking to her. She's been so wonderful and supportive to me. She came to my live show, her and Bob, her husband. I was so appreciative of Bob. He laughed at like my jokes, which I was so worried about people bringing their husbands because uh, like I just don't know how my sense of humor lands. And he um, like was one of the people because he was sitting close to me that I could hear and he made me feel so much better <laughs> so god bless you Bob if you're out there listening um but uh, also it's just you know she's a person that's given me incredible professional and advice and been a, a mentor as well as a wonderful friend and I'm sitting here in a hotel room in New York scared out of my mind for this show tomorrow and she sent me a bottle of wine to like wish me luck like she's so sweet so thoughtful so classy so all the things and uh it's just always wonderful when people not only meet but exceed your expectations based off of what you see on Instagram and she is certainly no exception in terms of a person that presents something that's both aesthetically pleasing and beautiful and consistent but also approachable and uh I just, uh, yeah, I'm a big fan and supporter, and I love that she's a podcast listener, and she's in the Facebook group, and uh, I don't know, just nice to have a member of the fan, a fam on, you know, that already understands the uh, the the podcast. It uh, means a lot to me that she's such a supporter. So anyway, hope you like the episode, and I will catch you on the flip side, and I hope after this interview, you'll be exclusively calling me a vanguard, which you'll hear about later on. <laughs> All right, guys. I am so excited to be here with Jen Lake. She kind of has uh, pioneered a very interesting path in uh, doubling down on a niche but continuing to evolve, which I really admire. Her blog's called The Style Charade. It started with, um, you had two blogs before The Style Charade, which we'll get into, but that's the name of the current blog. Um, her name is Jen Lake. She lives here in Chicago. I've gotten to know her recently as a friend. I've known her for a longer time as a blogger. And um, I'm so excited she's here because we're going to talk about influence from a different angle because she is not only uh, an influencer in her own right and a successful one, but she also, unlike most of us, smartly kept her day job. <laughs> and uh, I want to ask her about all things, you know, balancing both, continuing to grow, um, working in influencer marketing in a PR sense when she, you know, she's kind of the subject, but also at work she has to kind of objectify the industry too and how to balance that. And um, above all else, she's just like a has so much insight, is so, so smart, and I think that she'll give us some great insight on influence from an angle of both a person that has one foot in, um, you know, the profession of, of hiring and working with and promoting influencers and one foot in being one herself. So, Jen, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thanks so much for having me. I, I'm such a fan of the podcast. I'm a listener. You know this. Like, I just... I'm thrilled to be here. I love that. How did you find the podcast? Do you know? Good question. I'm, it was definitely a word of mouth situation. 
Which I feel, yeah, and I think it was actually first people were talking about your Facebook group and like how engaging it was. And then that led me to the podcast series and I just have been a fan ever since. Oh, I love that. And you're yeah. in the Facebook group. Oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> Jen's lurking. Yeah, I'm totally, totally. <laughs> I, I participate, though. I will drop a comment every now and again, but I definitely lurk. I need to engage more, for sure. But I, I love that group so much. You have, like, the most loyal listeners. Everyone's really smart and savvy. I really enjoy it. Oh, thank you. I love it, yeah, too. it's a great group of women. I love having somebody like you in there, too, because I'm always like... So how are we doing? Like, <laughs> do people are into this or no? Oh, I, absolutely. I, I respect your professional opinion. Absolutely. Um, it's Tuesday at 1030. We're having a light mimosa Thanksgiving oh, kickoff. Oh, of course. Absolutely. It just, it seemed like the right, the right mood to set, it right? It really is. Well, and my mom always taught me, like, you have to bring something to someone's, like, home, like a housewarming gift. And this is like your office. So I feel like you should give an office housewarming gift, if yeah. you will. And I'm the type of gal that opens my office <laughs> housewarming gift. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, okay, br- okay, so tell us just a little bit of background. Like, where did you grow up, go to school? How did you first get into PR? Kind of like the basics of the background so you can set the scene. Yeah, I'm a Chicago born and raised girl, but I grew up in the suburbs, which when you're from Chicago, you know, you cannot say you're from the city, like Chicago itself. You have to be very specific. So I grew up in Glenview, which is in the Mm -hmm. North Shore. Mm -hmm. And I knew very early on that I wanted to be in a job that was like focused on people, like be surrounded by people, be working with people. And everything led me to want to be in a communications-focused career. And there's so many paths that you can do when you're in communications, which you know. You can do marketing, you can do advertising, or you could do public relations. And for me, I knew PR was the right move because my brother was in PR. Um, My brother did an internship with the Chicago Fire soccer team. I don't know if there's any Chicago Fire fans, but I saw that he just loved his job. He was working, um, developing strategies, and I just got to understand the industry. So day one of college, I was a PR major. I knew like that was going to be my major, no questions asked. And that's pretty incredible. It, it just, I just knew. I felt it in my in my gut that that was the the role that I would be in. And 16 years later, I still work in it full time and worked at three different agencies and been at my existing firm for nearly 10 years. And I just, I, I love, love, love my job. That's incredible to identify that at a young age and to not go through the growing pains of like figuring it out on the job what you want to be doing you know what I mean yeah it really I give so many props to my dad my dad I don't know if this is strange to say but it's true like since I was very little he was very cognizant of teaching me and my brother how we're wired like we were the Myers-Briggs test kids that knew we were doing career aptitude tests like just there's so many personality quizzes you can take like about animals and colors and like we did them all. I love that. That's so (laughs) self-actualizing for a child. Are your headphones bothering you? Yeah, it's okay though. You you can take them off. It's just, oh yeah, maybe I will. Yeah. Yeah, I just like, I just do it to make sure I can, um, we're recording. Oh, amazing. Um, uh, Wait, so what's your Myers-Briggs? Oh, I'm an ENFP, a mild E, which I've learned (laughs) in my like 30s, Yeah, I think. Um, So I'm definitely, I have introverted tendencies where I like need to be away from people a little bit to recharge. But yeah, ENFP, so love being surrounded by people, like very in touch, like I think with my heart instead of my head, which gets me in trouble all the time. Um, as a P, like I explore all options before making a decision, so I'm awful to go to dinner with because mm-hmm. um, I will like take forever to pick something <laughs> on the menu and it drives my friends crazy. Uh, but that, starting with that in my childhood and understanding how I was wired 
I was able to really, really decide about my career quickly because I knew my strengths, my weaknesses, my blind spots. And that really just pointed everything towards like yeah. go to PR. Wow. No. I'm an INFP, which is Are you? Why I was going to ask. Um, yeah, because oh, we have the same characteristics besides extrovert and introvert. That is really funny. Yeah. I have all those same issues, decisiveness, feelings, sensitivity, <laughs> like all of that. Um, what's your Enneagram? Oh, good question. I think I'm a two wing three. Okay. I, I love, I think Enneagram Or is the like, Achiever. It's like the Achiever yes, one. Is that correct? Yes, I think yes. it's the two. I, that one is so, like, life-changingly accurate, I think. I was going to say, what are you? I'm a four, three, four wing, three. I'm uh, what's it called? It's the one that's like you're a selfish bitch. <laughs> <laughs> that it, is it's, not it's like true. it's something. It's called the. It's like I'm obsessed with my own purpose. Like it's oh, like a brooding oh. artistic type that's like creative and like is really in their own head, but like is able to ch- when you're healthy channel it really well and to do things for other people. When it's bad, you're like depressed. Oh my gosh! Well, you are not a selfish. <laughs> But I get it. I get that, like, the Enneagram, which we know Myers-Briggs doesn't point out, I highly recommend both tests, is that it does talk about, like, when you're healthy in your number and when you're not. And I think that that is such a powerful tool to know when you're not in a healthy state. Like, you typically have the discernment to know that about yourself when you're not in a good place. But to have this test that you can just see these points and personality characteristics where you're like, oh my gosh, yes, like that definitely happens to me at my low points in my life. It's just incredible. It's empowering because you don't beat yourself up over the way you are, but rather you work around your shortcomings. Totally. And see it in other people, right? Like while you should never like try to decide what someone is, I do think it's important in any, like from with your friends, your family, and especially your job to have an understanding of how someone's wired and to know how that discord happens in relationships because of the differences, um, knowing that about teams, knowing that about other people's, realizing those characteristics and other people makes you a more successful person, in my humble opinion. Yes, especially in your line of work, my God, which we'll get to working with different <laughs> personality types. Um, okay, so you went straight into PR after school. At what point did you decide to start a blog and why? So I started a blog in 2008. And Whoa, it was original, original. Yeah, an OG. And I should have kept it up. I still kick myself because I feel like all the OG bloggers that started around that time are like just completely flourishing while I'm like paddling in a, in a oh, kayak. Oh, because you rebranded? Because I rebranded, yeah. So I started with a wedding blog called Third Coast Bride. And it was all to document my wedding planning process with my husband, Bob. And at first it was one of those, like, I was getting so many questions from friends and family, like, what are your bridesmaid dresses going to look like? And right. where are you getting married? And I was like, okay, guys, stop. So created this site where it was like a one-stop shop. You want to know what's going on in our wedding planning? Like, here you go. And so it started with one reader, my mother-in-law, and like, that was pretty <laughs> much it. But then it started to really grow. And to this day, I, I still laugh because I'm like, really? Like a wedding planning blog? Like people were behind that? And it did. It started to really gain a lot of readers and a lot of followers. And I was even getting pitches from brands like being like, can we send you bridesmaid dresses? And this was really early on. This was wow. before influencer marketing really was a thing. Before you free stuff was even on like <laughs> It was a possibility. Like you had no agenda yeah. of like doing it for any reason other than to share, right? Exactly, exactly. Now I know weddings can be like completely sponsored, you know, hashtag sponsored by every single brand. Right. Um, But yeah, back then it was not the case. Um, But the one thing I didn't think about at that time in 2008 was that when Bob and I got married and the wedding was over, that I would never want to write about weddings ever again. 
who mm. would ever like who would ever do that to themselves? Like right. it just was like there was nothing I was really excited talking about weddings other than my friends. Yeah. So we decided to and I we but more I decided to stop the blog and just focus more on my career. Okay, so you took a pause for how long? Oh, till two thousand and fourteen. Yeah, I didn't realize it was that long. Yeah, it was a long time. Oh, because I stopped in twenty eleven. Okay. Oh, sorry. So 2008 to 2011, I had okay. Third Coast Bride and then stopped it. And then Style Charade started to be conceived in like 2014. That's so interesting. 2010, very much a heyday. But I'm with you if there's no point if the content, like if you feel like there's a bit of a ceiling with it, either creatively or other experientially in your own life, like yeah. you needed to pivot. But when you have a nine to five job that you're just starting out, it kind of is hard to like... It's the difference between um, doing something because it's fun and it's on the side and then like deliberately doing something. And when you're at the height of your career, it's very hard to shift the amount of attention it, something like that would need to do well. So true. I think it was a very important lesson. And it was really hard to give up at the time because we really did have um, a really loyal audience. But the lesson for me with that experience was in business, whatever brand I was going to build or continue to build, it needs to be built on rock. It has to be sustainable. It can't be built on sand, is what I say. You yeah. know that it can be, you know, swiped away in the, you know, in a moment. Um, right. So, when thinking about starting and relaunching a new blog that could actually stand the test of time, I knew I had to ideate for a very long time around how I could do that, what I would be passionate about, what readers could follow along on on a journey for a long extended period of time and never get bored. Yes, I love that. Okay, so. You knew that you needed to engage people with something that was bigger than like a kind of, you know, quick, easy decision just to like get back into blogging, right? So you right. spent a good amount of time figuring out like, what does this look like? I love how deliberate you are, like of ending something that was successful because you didn't see the future with it. I mean, that's like pretty incredible. I feel like it's very hard to, for people to walk away from things that are working, even if their heart's not fully in it. Mm, yeah, I think just because you build something good doesn't mean that it's right for you long term. Right? That's hard, a hard conclusion to get to. It really is, yeah. especially when something's successful. But success can mean different things to different people and how you quantify that is so different. And at the time, it wasn't feeding me or making my life any better. Or I, I wasn't even questioning if it was helping truly those that were taking in the information. And for oh. me, I was like, if I'm not building something great for others like why am I doing it right really um so to step away from that I think the best decisions you can sometimes do are just walking away even if it means yeah. walking away from something that was successful that's like my biggest argument for people that I were, were, were bloggers or whatever influencers that I feel like their audience detaches from them my argument is always like just continue to try to add value mm -hmm. and I think you can tell when people are phoning it in 100 percent their same little shtick and they don't even buy it anymore yeah of course and you like realized that before it was like became a thing to watch people's long term trajectory, right? Yes. And okay, so when you were ideating about style charade, like how did that come to be? So I knew style and fashion was always something I was interested in. I think it, it just, of course, as women, like we love that that vertical, that category, mm -hmm. and it's something that I just uh, love. So I knew if I was going to launch, relaunch a new blog, it would be revolving around fashion, and that would be the core. And I had been thinking about it for a long time about relaunching the blog and on two separate um, occasions, bloggers that I really trusted and respected pulled me aside separately without ever knowing that I was thinking about relaunching a blog and said to me, Jen, you need to start a blog. Like mm. you are made to do a fashion blog. What are you doing? 
do it. Um, and those people were Danielle and Elena of The Every Girl mm. and Liz Adams of At The Time Sequence and Stripes and Hello Adams Family. And I love those women so much and respect them in their blogging journey so much. So to hear from them on separate occasions all mm. say, Jen, start a blog. Like Then I was like, okay, I feel like it's one thing to have the idea yourself, and it's the other thing to have other people champion you and Absolutely. advocate for you to start something. I think it's something we all as women need to do a better job of. I know I'm working on it is just being so vocal when I see a talent that someone doesn't see in themselves and mm -hmm. say, do something with that. Like whatever that is, like I see that in you, you might not even see it, but do it. Um, and it really stems from, I think, that moment with Liz um, and then separately Danielle and Elena. So Bob and I spent a year creating Style Charade. Oh my gosh. Like a year. We met with our web designer, which if you go to my site, my site's the same as it was five years ago because we built it to last. We built it not for SEO, like my SEO's awful, <laughs> like, good gracious, but it wasn't designed for that. Yeah. Um, I knew if we were going to build a business and build a brand, again, I had to build it on rock. And to do that, I, because of my full-time job, I can't wrong, write long-form content. I don't have the time. Um, but I can do photo shoots on the weekends. You know, I can create blog posts at night. I can do, you know, blog posts that just have links. So that's for the first three years, it was just photos and links. And that was it. Um, and since then, it's transitioned more into long form content about once a week. But I knew I had to build a blog that I could do while doing my full time job. Um, and it was a, a topic that I knew I could talk about for the rest of my life. No wonder you're uh, your aesthetic is so strong. That's what it, it was built upon was just visuals. Yeah, just visuals. And you like have really you have to have great photography, great fashion, great color. Like there's a lot there that uh, you, to pull off no copy. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, you have to be like Atlantic Pacific. Oh gosh, you know what I mean. And that's what she did, and she did well. And she without revealing personal information, and continues to do. And you have just established like a very signature style of like street fashion paired with the street art that I'm like obsessed with and we'll get into. But mm. I think like um, there's people that like kind of just post their day to day looks and it's whatever. And it, it's, it's great, but it's in different places. It's a variety of quality and that's their brand. But like since that, since the beginning, you've really focused on a very specific aesthetic, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. did you bring in the wall art later or was that in 2015? Wall art was a part of a lot of my photos when I would travel, even oh, before okay. a blog. Um, it would just be, you know, I'd see colorful walls and I would want to take photos that I would post on Instagram or on Facebook or just send to family via email. And it was something that was long before ever even the blog started. And you know, colorful visuals and colorful fashion. That's been since I was very little. My bedroom growing up was bubblegum pink with like Laura Ashley florals. Oh, everywhere. like the green briar. <laughs> oh yeah. It's basically the green, actually that is the perfect description. Yeah. I lived basically in the green briar. So um, no, not my house. My house wasn't like the size of the green briar, but it was my bedroom looked like the green briar for sure. That Dorothy Draper, like you're not afraid of a print. Vintage. No, I'll take a print, a stripe, a bold hue, a little pop of color. I'll do it all. I love that. Um, so it's just been a part of my aesthetic and my personal style forever. Um, but to your point about the the visuals, that was key. Um, was just coming up with beautiful photography uh, that was not just colorful and distinct, right. but was a true representation of my personal style and would brighten someone's day. Yes. At the time, it was very visco. It still kind of is, yeah. like a little muted, a little black. I was like, we need some color, like in this world, yes. like. 
so many people are scared of wearing color. They're just scared of colorful things. And I'm just, I'm like, embrace all things color. Like You're so right. Mid-2010s, very marked by the austerity of neutrals. It's very like KKW <laughs> came in and like just made oh, everything yeah. nude. Oh, you're so right. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and I and I have a bit of a fear of color myself, but it I think at that point when everything was pale pink and like with gold accents, um, being bold using primary colors, like these things, as commonplace as they sound, were actually kind of, I bet, helped you break through quite a bit. Yeah, that was definitely a, a, a help. Keep in mind, Kate is wearing a bold red lip right now. So I, you yeah. do, you're not afraid of a, a color. <laughs> I think when people think colorful, they think like, oh, I have to be like a Crayola box, like exploded everywhere. Yes. And it's not that. It's like that you're not afraid to take like a risk with a hue, even if it's just one piece or one lip or one accessory yes you know? totally so. I, I want to like regress through my like uh fashion and style decisions because like I feel like a lot of I think a decision to like kind of blend in or stand out is just like a very much personality thing and like the way certain things make you I don't know I, I wish there was like a way to Myers-Briggs that shit because like <laughs> yeah <laughs> I think I've, I've been so tall my whole life when I was wearing like a hot pink I felt like a giant hot pink person like uh-huh. you know what I mean like I didn't want more reason to be obvious. Oh, interesting. Because I was so much taller than my friends my whole life. Okay. So that's what I kind of mean by like, it's interesting how your style evolves, I think, from a response. It's like partially who you are, but partially a response to your environment, I, I think. I can see that. Yeah. Um, well, and there's a lot of color psychology, right? Like oh, yeah. when you wear a specific hue, it, it sends a message. Like there literally is color psychology. So for example, like blue, we all know that tone is actually like really calming. They use it even in like Japan and train stations to like calm passengers as they board the train um, because oh. stress is such a huge issue. So that's a color psychology uh, tactic they use. And so when you wear blue, it tends to be very calming for the eye, which is why you'll see it even on like TV anchors, they wear a lot of blue. They do wear a lot of blue. And blue is calming, it's relaxing, whereas yellow is bright and happy, like green as well. Like you should never wear a black suit to an interview because black is considered, like a a black outfit is considered uh, powerful. And so to the interviewer, they might see it as you're trying to do like a power play. So you're supposed to wear a navy. Like all these things that you just like don't think about. But color plays a lot into our psyche and how our first impression is with someone else. And that's not, I don't go into my closet every day going, what, you know, what vibe do I want to send today? You know, like, it's not like that. But I do think when you peel back the layers of it, you are sending a message with your clothes. Oh, for sure. Um, And it's not just, you know, whether you're wearing a midi skirt or a mini skirt, it's like also what the color is. And so since I was little, that has played also a role for me of thinking about that because not to go on a tangent, but my mom we even love tangents. <laughs> oh yes, this, this is true. I do know this. <laughs> my mom had my colors done. Do you remember this? Oh my God! A woman named like Betsy would come to your house and be yes. like, "You're in autumn. <laughs> Are you in autumn? I actually don't remember. Okay, <laughs> well, we'll figure that out later. We'll do that. We'll I actually that think next. so. Red was one of my colors. I could, I could see an I could see an autumn for you. Yeah, I'm a I'm a summer. Oh no, I'm not a summer. I'm a winter. Sorry. What does I'm that mean? Blues. It means cool. jewel tones. Jewel tones. Oh. I look really bad in pastels. So I fight again. So I have to go with icy pastels. Oh my God. I love that you remembered the color woman. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Yeah. Hilarious bit of nostalgia I haven't thought about in a long time. Like who was that person and why was she at my house? I, I, (laughs) (laughs) but she was kind of secretly fabulous, right? Maybe I was at a Girl Scouts meeting. Oh, interesting. Like, was that a person who pa- was paid to like hold a swatch up to your yeah. face and just tell you, like, did she sell clothes? I don't think so. You would just be given like a Pantone paint swatch, but 
like literally paint. I don't even know what you call it, (laughs) but like swatches that you would like put in your purse and my mom would pop out my winter hues when we were shopping at Marshall Fields and be like, that green is not your green. That's more of like a summer green. That's like such a sweet memory. It is. But color, so color, the main point, getting off the tangent back to it was really, it stems from my childhood of thinking of color in a different way and how to personalize it to yourself and what looks good, what does not, what message you're sending when you're doing it. It's all that combined. So I think now it's a fun take that I'm hoping it'll make a resurgence because I do think certain colors look better on certain skin tones than others. And no one's talking really about that or saying this pink is not your pink because it really isn't. You need to resurrect this methodology. It's like my other business. I wish I could create a business around this, but there's just no time. Not even a business. Just like do like a post about it and kind of like explain what you just explained to me. I think that's really interesting because color phobes like myself, it's probably because I'm just like not all pinks are created equal. Like I look like a cheese ball Barbie girl next door in pink, but if I was wearing the right pink, perhaps I'd be fine. Right, exactly. (laughs) It's hard to say. Um, No, trust me, I love tangents. This is is why it's kind of unstructured because I just like to hear about like what comes to people's minds because that's the whole nature of the podcast. So I'm thinking about Betsy coming to your home in the 80s (laughs) doing your colors. I'm like going to think about this all week. Um, (laughs) Okay, so wait, how'd you come up with the name Style Charade? Uh, so I love Audrey Hepburn. Oh, yes. uh, so charades, the movie, and also because so much of what I knew the brand was going to be built on was all a charade. Like I'm not mm. showing up today in like a ball gown. Would I want to? Absolutely. But like you'll see photos of me in like ball gowns and a canoe and like a sparkly <laughs> sequin shift dress, like in an engine um, in a plane for United Airlines. And you'll right. be like, that makes no sense. And that's the point. Like, I am editorial. not. It's all editorial. It's not meant to be real. I don't take it seriously. I mean, I do take it seriously in terms of a business and a brand. But, right. like, I know the images sometimes are ridiculous. And they're not meant to be a reflection of my daily style oh, all the time. No, that's, like, a great thing to point out and a great thing to, like, own and know. Because, like, you know, I'm the first person to be, like, you know, why – Oh yeah, sure. Instagram are stories you the tour. Best. Yeah, right. in like a Seven Eleven. Right. Um, Why do you have fall foliage like all over yeah, your living exactly. room <laughs> with a fake fire? Right. Like right. I love, I love fashion. I love fashion editorial photos, and I think that um, having that, like, uh, I love that in your name. It's kind of built into that, and you kind of went into it not with an unserious nature in terms of self awareness. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's just fashion, right? right like we're fun. not carrying cancer. So like I know that and I really really from the onset wanted to make sure everyone knew like this is in no way shape or form an accurate reflection of my my life, but we can have fun. We can, you know, add whimsy and, you know, take it to a different level and make it more editorial and and still some elements still be real. Yeah. But um that the two can can be a juxtaposition, but also converge at the same time, if that makes sense. Yes, of course. Yeah. So when did the style charade kind of take off? I think it's still trying to take off. (laughs) See, I, so would you say like your following is, is more from, um, third coast and like you carried over or you've kind of garnered that solely through style charade? Yeah, I think it was only garnered through style charade. I think like close friends and family followed the, the journey since, but Maybe there's a little bit of crossover. I, I really don't know, but or haven't heard that. I think it really was organically building the audience from almost the start um, all over again. 
So I don't think there's been like a tipping point yet. Um, yeah. And I'm okay with that. I think I'm always chasing it. And yeah. that's actually fire and fuel. That's kind totally. of how I'm wired is to your point, a little bit of purpose driven. Like I don't have an off switch. I'm very resilient. I love chasing, you know, the next benchmark of what I think is success. And so I don't think even if I were to make it quote unquote, I don't ever think you would hear me say that I did because I would never feel that I had. Uh, well, yeah, me too. <laughs> is that how you feel too? Yeah, I would know. Like there's no, not that I want for more, but that like it's the self-sabotaging cycle of the ambitious. You raise your own bar. Mm, yeah. Um, and it's just, it's something that you have to be so aware of when you get down on yourself. Right. And you almost have to actively like, you know, affirm your accolades because it's not a bad thing to be ambitious, but it can be a bad thing to, uh, uh, never even just have the, even those fleeting moments of self-satisfaction. You, sure. you need those yeah, like absolutely. To, to move forward, to progress, you know? For sure. You definitely need moments to step back and like acknowledge how far you've come. And, you know, I think that's why you have to create benchmarks of success right. in your mind along the way and along the journey. So you have those small celebrations. Right. But like, I absolutely love the quote, as cheesy as it sounds, but it's true. Um, like you never know how high you are until you're called to rise and I think that so often, especially in the influencer space, that we all are thinking about our numbers and our self-esteem is huh, so tied yeah. to our follower count or, you know, our like count or all of that. And really, at the end of the day, like, you just, I really, really feel like I'm, I try to keep my feet firmly on the ground, planted and rooted in things that are real and not in numbers, mm -hmm. and then yet also understand that, like, there's going to be hard times and I'm going to be called to rise. So don't think that I'm you know, being successful at a given moment and, and won't need to prove myself over yeah. and over again, if that makes sense. No, it does make um, sense. It's yeah. a really interesting way to look at it. Because, like, I'm always, you know, it's, it's such, it sounds, it's, it's funny because what I like doing on this series is, like, we all know the numbers and stuff. It's like, it, it, do, it doesn't matter. It gets in your head. It is a bit of a game. It's something that we all trivialize but also hyper-focus on. Mm. And um, I think that it's always interesting to kind of hear about people's Instagram trajectory specifically, A, because it's a, just a currency tied to it, mm -hmm. B, because I think people have different experiences. And, like, I'm, I try to be pretty clear with people. I'm like, I only have, like, the low 40s of thousands of followers. It's taken me five years. And I post every day, like, yeah, a lot. And do. I think a lot about – and, like, it's just not – it's very hard to get people's follow anymore it's like it, people are so selective now. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, to your, like even you starting in 2015 is kind of like the early days of Instagram. People were just throwing follows. What, like I yeah. think most of mine are like from when I was just following like every meme account in town. Like I don't even know what I was doing. But um, it is hard now. And I think that it's great to be an example of like a slower burn. It's like, well, I, I guess you should tell me, but like you know, instead of feeling like any one day or one isolated moment is responsible for so much of your launch, but rather a showcase of consistency being incredibly important. Yeah, consistency is so key. And like I, before getting into like my journey, I also have to say like your 40 something thousand followers still matters. And I know when people say that and marketers say that and publicists say that everyone rolls their eyes and they're like, please don't. Like we see, you know, the million followed accounts, the hundred thousand right. accounts, but really the true state of influencer right now is just that influence. And your 40 something thousand follower, forgive me, I don't, I don't know the number. 
all those matter because they are highly engaged. Look at the Facebook group. My goodness, it's incredible. It's my favorite one. They're incredible. I love following and so engaged. And I know our clients would rather work with someone with 40,000 authentic followers who are super engaged and invested in your success, your journey, your point of view, your jokes, your thoughts, all of that, than the million followed account that they really just pop up on the feed, give them a like, but really aren't truly invested in their journey and success. Um, So you have carved a a niche and done it in an authentic way because people are faking their influence left and right. They're buying followers, they're buying bots. We all know this, but agencies, to put my PR hat on, see it. We have the tools. We can see down to the percentage of fake following. We can see when people have paid for giveaways. We can see all of this stuff. Mm. So for those that have built the slow burn way, to your point, and what you've done, that's where the future is going. That's where the paid partnerships are going to lie. Like the value is in the influence and engagement, not the, not the, the number. Yeah. So really that's good to hear number. from a professional angle. You hear about this shift to micro-influence, right? But it's like you see the same people doing the same stuff, and you can't, it's hard to tell. But I think that the inherently you, you, it's not going to be as apparent because it is in – um, like smaller microcosms of highly engaged followings that maybe may aren't on your radar, but for the people whose radar they're on, they're highly impactful. Yeah, absolutely. That's um, interesting. It's the future. It's the future and it's the now. Smart, smart agencies, smart brands are going that route. They're investing their dollars in that way. Um, you know, all the facts point to how micro-influencers um, are really, really working yeah. for brands and even nano-influencers. I can't believe that there's even a nano, but there's nano, ma- micro, macro, Is nano mega. nano 10? Uh-huh, yeah. Okay. So that all, it all matters. It's all a continuum, and there's a place for a brand in a partnership with any of those levels. Um, it just has to be with the right person, with the right audience, with the right topic at the right time. Interesting. So, okay, I'm going to, that's a bullet point I'm going to get to if the, in terms of your PR hat, and we'll get to that in a second. The, um, okay, so during this time, you launched your blog, you're in the height of your PR career. So you work at Zapwater, which is a, is focused on influencer marketing, correct? So a full service agency, okay. and one of our divisions um, is influencer relations. So okay. it's an integrated communications agency. So we do like media relations, influencer relations, events, partnerships, uh, social media, crisis, and beyond. Oh, wow. That's amazing. Yeah. Do you work in one specific silo or you work across those? So I thankfully get to work um, in all. Um, and we have three offices. We have Chicago, Los Angeles, Miami. And so my role is really new business development. So it's finding uh, brands that we think will be ideal partners, like writing proposals, presentations, pitching. And it fits perfectly with my ENFP, my Enneagram, because I get so excited by the new and I get mm. really tired with the old. Mm. So I do really well in concept creation strategy upfront. And then I do a really good job of transitioning that off to in a team that's going to execute it perfectly flawlessly. And they're so talented. Like mm. I always say my team is 10 times more talented than me, period. Like we have the best team on the planet. That's why I've been there 10 years. And at the same time, I've been positioned successfully because the role fits my strengths, which is being in the upfront, selling well, being thoughtful and strategic about what's new, yeah, and then knowing my weakness of I'm really not good at the old. Yeah. So try to transition me off, you know, when we get towards the latter half of the campaign. Right. I, I love that. I, and I feel similarly, maybe it's the NFP of us, but I, I'm, <laughs> my ambition is largely rooted in novelty. <laughs> like, do you enjoy creating the podcast and like, 
interviewing people instead of the editing part because I feel like there's yes. the different right because that's like the end part is the editing and uploading and tagging and yes I don't even know all of that if I weren't such a <clears throat> control freak I would let somebody else edit it because um, but the, the reason yeah this podcast it's always new right like every week it's ever changing I always find new things to talk about but I so relate to that and like okay so you're working at Zapwater at this time you've been there for 10 years you start the blog when you start to get brand partnerships and it starts to pick up more um, I, when I started the map business and I worked at Nielsen, I was like very awkward about it. <laughs> very like hush hush. Like I did, I was worried like if I took a day off or like needed to do something or like they thought I'd be working on my other thing. Like did, when you first started, were you like a pretty upfront, like, Hey guys, this isn't gonna, this is going to be very separate. Yes. I think it was just, I, I knew it needed to be very black and white. Yeah. Um, and that the industry has so much gray. Yeah. I, it, now what I know now there's even more gray than I would ever want but I really try to be as black and white as possible and I I started in, in 2015 and I had 4,000 followers and I've never paid for a follower bot engagement anything my my audience is 100% real um, unless a bot is following me for their own intentions yeah. like I have no idea but um so I started at 4,000 followers, and so I don't think anyone really took it seriously. Not because oh, they didn't, yeah. not because they didn't want me to succeed, and it's not speaking poorly of my colleagues. It was just I don't think no. anyone really thought I was going anywhere. Look, everyone has a blog, and now everyone has a podcast. It's like cool. Good yeah, luck. right, right. <laughs> I just think they were like, "That's so cute, you and your outfit." Like, <laughs> yay, let's get back to work. Right. <laughs> so. Well, I was still very clear that I had a blog yeah. and that, you know, the partnerships came and they were small and they were mighty, but great. I, I don't know. I, it was a slow, very slow burn my first year. So I didn't even know at the time, like how big it was going to get. We, I was just doing it as, and I know this is like overused term, but it's true, a creative outlet. I really was a creative yeah. outlet for me. And, but yeah, I don't think anyone was like, this is really going to turn it in, into really anything. That's interesting. I'm yeah. glad you framed it with 4,000 followers at the time. Cause in my head, you have been at this since 2008, right? But you really did start start over, start fresh, yeah. which is pretty incredible small. considering that was four years ago. And but okay, you're now at 173,000 uh, four years later, which is pretty incredible. Like, can you isolate any moments that were like big breaks for you? Like, weren't you like Michigan Avenue's like best Instagram account? Like, you have a lot of accolades. There was a lot of accolades. I think I really was lucky that it was before a lot of the, the Instagram algorithm shifts, to your point earlier, very, very important. I feel like before, like a like to know what account would post me and I would go up like a thousand followers that day. Yeah. And it was incredible, like very powerful, still is. But I might go up by like a hundred if they repost me. And yeah. and that's not them. That it's not because their audience doesn't care. It's the algorithm right. in, in part. So I think I I hit I joined the channel quickly early enough where the algorithm didn't impact my performance of followers finding me, if yes, that makes sense. Yes, okay. No, that makes sense. But I think that's true of any social media channel, like even TikTok. People are talking about that so much. I I know we don't necessarily want to go down like the whole TikTok <laughs> path, but Whenever there's a new social media channel, the best advice is to early be an early adopter. Yes. Join quickly, join fast because algorithms aren't in play. You know, they're not influenced by money or advertisers or any of that hierarchy. Right. It just is a pure play social media channel and you can gain followers quickly. So in Instagram's case, I think I just happened to join at the right year at the right time and put out the right content that yeah. then was thumb stumping, thumb stopping enough to have people want to take a second look and hit the follow button. So what percentage of those do you think were like pre, I don't know, like 2018? 
A lot. Yeah, a lot. Have you had trouble losing followers? A little bit recently. In fact, the past two months, and I'm really, I've been fortunate enough that it wasn't really uh, the case before, but then ironically, I got verified and that's when I started losing followers. Hmm. Isn't that interesting? Do you think it's because it bumped you up on people's feeds and they were like, I haven't see- seen this person for a while? Like, her stuff sucks. Get her on my feed. No, I honestly <laughs> think that, like, um, I felt like I have probably 2,000 people. I only see the same 30 people's stories. Mm. I wonder if somebody gets verified if suddenly they're dropped in the front and they're kind of, if you're not used to engaging with their content because it's been a while, if people are like, wait, what? Maybe. I, I really haven't been able to put my finger on it and... I think the check mark is so coveted on Instagram and it's a badge of honor. It's so easy for me to sit in this seat and say this as one that has yeah. it. But I will will say the data shows that I'm losing followers since that That's moment. Fascinating. And my only fear, truly fear, is that it also that that check, that badge of honor, that thing that is so coveted, I worry in some ways that for some people, I can't speak for everyone, and again, this is just pure conjecture, that they think that that goes to your head or that you think you have some sort of status, and then you've lost some of the magic huh. of just creating and just being a true creator. Um, I don't view that, but I wonder if that puts on pause of like, ugh, like I don't, I don't right. know, maybe it makes them take a second look, and I, I can't blame them because I I would do maybe the same. I don't know. That would be like a very interesting like market research industry white paper. Yeah, can someone get on that? Yeah, because <laughs> there's a psychographic element there of like, um, yeah, it can be, you know, you would assume it would be viewed as uh, legitimacy, but there is, that's the thing with everything on social media. It's that everything and anything can have an inverse effect. Yeah. Depending on what the person's projecting onto you and the like it's and their pr- particular viewpoint about social media, I think a lot of people approach it everyone's guilty until proven innocent. Sure. Sure. <laughs> but like I've never actually heard that like that's an interesting point cuz a lot of pe- all people want is that check mark and I've been pretty honest on my podcast a that like I'm not going to pretend like I didn't want it, but B, it was the the only difference that's made it at all is that people answer my DMs. Yeah, because you, right 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 you can get right in. Because you can get right in. Because you can get right in. And I think honestly, that's the biggest thing. I don't really know what else it does for people. I don't know if it helps with like brand deals or whatever, but that's for me the big thing. That makes sense. That totally makes sense. Because yeah. like I need a guest to think I'm legit. Well, you are I kind legit. of have yeah. a reason. Well, and my book because Kate Kennedy's the most common name in America. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody could find me when I published my book. Um, that was like why I really crusaded for it. But yeah, it's it's funny how um, you think things will change, but they don't. Yeah. <laughs> and at the same time, like I also have to have ownership, right? If you're losing followers, that means that your audience, at some point, a few people have thought that you're not bringing your A game mm-hmm. or that they're not, the content isn't resonating with them. And again, mine is much more editorial focused. It's not a daily view into my everyday life. Um, so for some people that might not be resonating with them right now and I think because of having a full-time job and because of also having the, you know, blog and supposed like influencer title, I think I'm able to come to terms more quickly with the fact that that's okay. Like if people aren't here for it, it's probably better that they're not following me, right? Because I want the people that are in it to win it, that we're doing life together, like journeying together, like that is exciting for me. And I get if if they're not resonating with my journey at that time, it's okay to hop off or hop back on when they feel it's the right time. Yeah, attract and repel is a strategy in and of itself, right? You don't want the same people. Like, you don't want people there who don't want to be. Right. And thankfully, like, I've been, like, the community 
over the years that has been developed is so positive, so thoughtful. That's great. And I'm very, very thankful every day that someone even taps like a follow button to to follow. I know that sounds cheesy, but it's true. Like I know someone took the time to look through my content to make a comment to like a feed and I, I every single one of those things counts and matters to me. And you respond to every single one. It's, it's truly it's, amazing. It's why I do. It's like a hallmark of something I like believe so strongly in yeah. because I'm my time is no better than anyone else's. Mm-hmm. And the fact someone took the time out of the day to make a comment, I don't care if it's a emoji, I don't care if it's a love, I don't care if it's a thanks, I don't care if it's a DM me for more information about X brand. Like <laughs> I will I will still join my team. <laughs> I'll still I'll still respond and make a snarky comment, but like everyone's time matters and I really value the community and when someone makes a comment I will I will do my best to respond yeah that's like um yeah something I need to get better at because I always I don't like with emojis and stuff I never know like do I does that warrant a response for me like thank you for the clapping hands do I respond with a like kiss face like yeah oh yeah emoji to an emoji response I think about these things often, but no, you've been helpful. Like I, Jen and I went out to dinner and talked for like hours and I was like asking, like, of course I leverage my like friend time to be like, so yeah, how do you think I need to be, uh, (laughs) what do I need to respond to? She was like, um, everything. And I was like, oh yeah, totally. I know. Like I've been doing that this whole time, but no, I, it's, it's funny. Like it's the, it's a thing that's very easy to let slide, but to let the thing slide that has the biggest impact is a mistake. It's on so, the person. It's so true. Because everyone thinks the channel, like Instagram's a content channel. It's community. Mm, so the community a, is like... That's a sound bite. <laughs> 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 no, you're right, though. But it is. And so, yes, your content matters. But the ability to connect with others, like that's what I found most fulfilling of the channel. Right. And the thing I'm most proud of is being able to connect with so many phenomenal other bloggers, content creators, and then the community itself. Yeah. It's the most rewarding thing. That's the thing that I find the greatest value, not just the images or the like count or the follow count. It literally is just being able to converse with other people huh. and get real-time feedback. It's like the ultimate focus group, right? It is. It's incredible. I agree. It's it's and actually... it's free. <laughs> right. I actually sometimes marvel at having a background in market research, what access I have to data about um, anything I want, like ever, whether I'm like crowdsourcing about like, have you ever won a giveaway or like something more meaningful? I'm like, wow, I get a, like people are so generous yeah, to share and to interact. And yeah, I, I am so with you on that. And I actually love that. And that's a better way to position it in terms of even helping you uh, not worry so much about content, right? It, it can really get in your head. And I think we're both on board for likes going away. We don't care. No. Yeah. Um, bye, bye, girl. We're good. <laughs> yeah, we're good on that one. <laughs> Wait, so a couple more questions about your blog. Um, yes. No, this is so interesting. Okay, so people, and stop me if like if you, you don't want to say, but um, like I think people are interested in terms of like, do you, do you make the bulk of your blog money on affiliate links or brand partnerships, or is it a pretty even split? Great question. Um, so majority on brand partnerships and a smaller percentage on affiliate, although affiliate is a very amazing tool, reward style, I like to know it. They have been my like exclusive affiliate partner forever. Not it's by choice, not like by contract mm-hmm. or anything like that. I believe in like what they're doing. I love the analytics. I love the tools. I love how they view um, those partnerships. Um, I think affiliate is incredible. Um, so yeah, that's that's the breakdown. I can't give you an exact percentage, but I would say probably like eighty twenty. Okay, yeah. Maybe 
Yes. That, I love that I say I can't tell you. And I was like, I think it's like 80 20. Yeah, you have to ask Bob. Yeah. I have to ask Bob. Bob knows all. Bob knows all. Um, sure. I, I feel like the, um, what I'm, I always try to explain to people, I'm like, I actually make such a nominal fees on affiliate links. And I don't use them very often. But um, I think the thing not enough people talk about is the value there for a lot of people is the data because it's a literal mark of your influence. While you need to watch the data and while it's okay to somewhat be influenced by the data, you can never transition or change your true personal point of view right. and style. One, your audience will be able to sniff that out in a second right. if you're trying to sell something you don't really believe in. True. Um, and two, you really have to remain true to yourself and remain laser focused on your vision. Otherwise, you lose your trust with your audience and that's over. That's the most right. valuable thing. So I've seen many people who trust the data go a certain route because they think the data is telling them that that's what their audience wants. And that's great. Like, sir, like you're there to provide and educate your audience. Like that is one of the coolest and best things you can do. At the same time, you also need – they're coming to you for your point of view. Right. So – or you hope at least. Right. <laughs> and that should further add, you, you should remain so true and authentic to that. Right. Because, uh, yeah, no, I totally agree. It's, it's an art and a science. It's, it's almost a great gut check of like, okay, I know best at a point where are the outliers and where am I just losing people? Yeah. And then, you know, trying to kind of pivot from there. I think it's, yeah, it is interesting how, um, like, it, I, I, have, I have such an issue with, like, try-ons and stuff, especially in dressing rooms. I'm like, you didn't even buy that. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, like, I'm sure the data is incredible on, like, the, the dressing room try-ons in oh Nordstrom gosh, or whatever. I'm dying. And, um, but I'm also like, <laughs> I, I, well, I don't believe you at all. Like, go to the register and then film it, please. <laughs> I love it. I really wish you could just feel free to call people out. That's amazing. I'm sure Nordstrom sales people, too, want to be like, Please buy. Oh, Please I have friends that worked there. They were like, we recognize all of the bloggers. We know them. They return everything. They photo it. Da, da. And it's like, and oh, this was way back gosh. when it was really rampant, I yeah. think. And people were starting out and you couldn't afford nicer clothes yet or whatever. And I'm like, oh, God, that's wild. But God bless Nordstrom and God. all the retailers. They were, been, what would we do without them? Truly, They're amazing. So people make serious income off that end sale. I know it drives everyone nuts, but I'm like, you would do it too if it was a, such a large I of your income. I love the Nordstrom anniversary sale. I try to like do it sprint, not marathon. Yeah. Like, Try to go for Crank the glasses. And not to turn to this, but I, I really, really, I think the end sale gets a lot of hate. It does. Um, and I know it, like, a lot of bloggers are selling things that people don't necessarily need. The keyword there is need. Yeah. But there are things that people want. So I of think course. the end sale gets a bad rap when I think it's, like, it's a really great... I, I love it. I think it's really fantastic. Well, and they... Um, I see the other side of it. Don't get me wrong. So don't at me. I know some people oh, really yeah. don't like it, but well, I, I think, think it's, it's incredible. important to state that as an influencer, how great it is, because that's why people do it. I think the um, issue is just the saturation. It's because oh, it's so, so great. Saturated. And they're so... Oh, yeah. It works so well with influencers. So many want to work with them. Totally. And it creates a level of wear out, right? Which right. Which is an, a marketing issue on all fronts. Everyone True. deals with. That's a good point. And I, and I really, the one thing that I, I, for next year, I hope for all bloggers not to get a PSA out there, but this year I saw a lot of, um, like bloggers and influencers saying like, oh, like, I don't want to do this. I know it's oversaturated. I know you guys are like paying for things you don't want or need, but here are my top 10 picks for the end sale. I'm like, you can't be, you either do it or you don't. There is no middle. Like, I think it's that black and white mentality for me. It's like, if you want to make money for it, like champion it. And, like, be clear with your audience and transparent that you're getting commission because of it. But if you're going to hate on it, then don't do it. Yes. That's such an interesting point because I think people take this 
you know, I often talk about in this podcast, so I think relatability is the currency aspiration once was in blogging. Mm-hmm. And people want to be like, I'm like, I'm just like you. I'm right. like, yeah. <laughs> right, right. and they want to be like, I know this is so annoying. Like they almost want to, and I do this too. It's like, you get a certain amount of feedback on of the same thing. You almost want to say it first to like qualify to caveat so nobody else can say it. But you're that there gets to a point where you're letting the the negativity be louder. There's a lot more people that love and support you and probably don't care. And by qualifying it, you're d- discrediting yourself. Yeah, yeah, and, and I exactly. agree. That's funny. Exactly. I couldn't put my finger on why the end sale was bothered me extra this year, and I think it's because of everyone acknowledging. <laughs> It's like, I'm real, I'm relatable, (laughs) and, like, I'm just like you, to your point, and, like, I don't want you to buy things. And that's true. I really genuinely feel that, too. Yeah, of course, we all do. I also see that there are a a section of my audience that really do want to see what my picks are, and, like, I want to champion that, and and I want to do it quickly. sales. Yeah. (laughs) Like, other than this, like, it's your chance. And I want to, like, do it quickly. I only do a few posts, and then I move on with my life. Right. So you can find your way in it, but... I think you can't hate on something that's bringing you income. Again, I think transparency is key in the end sale. I think too many people aren't um, being open about, like the first post I ever did about Nordstrom's anniversary sale this year was like, I make a commission on everything that you click and link and buy. Yeah. Just because you cannot you cannot do it and not be real with your audience about what why you're doing it, what what's up front, and like keep that message throughout so that you're yeah. keeping your integrity through it all. But yeah. Well, and I'll get off my, prof- my end sales. <laughs> so, no, no. <laughs> I think that's an interesting perspective. People just, it's not, it's agnostic to the uh, retailer, the vehicle, whatever. It's anytime everyone's talking about one thing, people are annoyed. I would liken this to a, um, a recent pop in everybody talking about Tula. Um, and it's like all of a sudden it came out of nowhere and like everybody can't live without it. I'm like, can you? Or did you start it two weeks ago? Like, let's give it a second. Right. Let your pores breathe. See how you <laughs> react to it. But, you know, but also like I have podcast advertisers and there's a finite set of advertisers that advertise on podcasts. And this is a job that I have to monetize. And when I like something, like I'll go for it yeah. and people aren't always going to get it. And it's like, it's, it's funny. Cause as I get one foot further and I understand the motivation of people so much more, cause it's like when people are enjoy, you're creating something for people to come into your life every day for free. And then they become a beggy, like a choosy beggar. And like want I want to have say, and how you should align with their very subjective needs. It's really unreasonable, even though we all do it. Yeah. And I think the more and more it happens to you, you're like, I need to reel it back a bit on what I insist of other people of that are doing things for me for free. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm aware of, I do this too, but, um, okay. So with, uh, Zapwater, so what's, as you grew your blog and, um, you were working in at this PR company, that's incredibly successful. And you kind of moved through the organization was it ever the objective to leave or were you always going to do the two in tandem? I never wanted to leave my full-time job. Like I still stand with, with that yeah. statement. I mean, in the wise words of Justin Bieber, never say never. Obviously. Like, <laughs> ob- you never know. Um, but I really find like true joy and value with being accountable to a team, to clients, to the leadership of the agency. Like I find so much professional development still continuing to this day. So yes, I always thought like both would remain like the word workfluencer is like the new term oh. for like full-time job as well as being an influencer. Oh. Like I think the poster person for this is Eva Chen. Like she's had a God, fashion love for her. God, so good. You take, I take her so seriously because she's like, like I take you seriously and I'm not to say I don't take other influencers seriously. <laughs> I have a job I wouldn't take seriously, but it, it, it kind of gives you this badge of like being, I don't know, 
I don't know how it, how you earn that badge, but like it yeah. just like Eva's Eva's that that entity. She yeah. really is a true workfluencer. You know, she know I know she's working her tail off for Instagram and Facebook, and yet at the same time, she's an author and obviously an amazing mom. And then she also is truly an influencer. And we listen right. when she says something. And has a job that appreciates and leverages her influence, which I also love. Yeah, is, is totally. When your career like hybrid will will meet you, and I mean, obviously, she works for the company that like owns the thing she's popular on, which is unusual. But I think it's cool when people don't have to like over separate too sometimes which mm-hmm. is easier said than done but I think a lot of like fashion brands could like really leverage that you know what I mean yeah like or even the association of knowing like Blair Edie to bring her up again worked for like Tori Birch for so long it's like I, I think it's it's cool when these women that are really looked up to and have a lot of influence have these like powerhouse positions at brands. I think it's all the better for the brand if they let them live in both worlds. That's the key, right? Is to live in those both worlds. And because the workfluencer, I'm just going to keep using that term. I'm not trying to make fetch happen, but it's just like the term <laughs> that keeps like coming up. And it really is a great, a great term for it. Um, it's a wild, wild west out there. Yeah. Like I always say, I feel like I have firstborn syndrome where I'm like, I'm actually the baby of the, in my real family, but I feel at my job, you know, the, we have other bloggers within the agency, but I'm really like the first one that's, that's coming up with these, mm-hmm. these, th- having these conversations with the leadership about, you know, what the boundaries are, you know, where is the black and white? Where's the gray? Like, who am I allowed to work with? Who am I not allowed to work mm-hmm. with? Those are conversations I have to have on a daily, now weekly basis. And I'm very lucky that the agency CEO and CFO have been open to those conversations. That's amazing. And every time that I go to them with them, I always have to remind them, firstborn syndrome, I'm the first to market. This is a wild, wild west. We're all just trying to figure this out together um, as productively as possible. But I'm not the first, and I certainly won't be like the very last person that will be a blogger in the workforce having both titles and figuring out what that means and how to leverage it, how to create those boundaries, as I mentioned. And it's not easy. Um, The conversations are tough and the boundaries are are getting stricter as they should be. And, you know, so those, those are the things that I know some people don't see behind the scenes, but I think they're so important and invaluable. Um, So I will always, I think, have a full-time job and you know, the influencer side, as long as I'm within a position that allows me to do so and not feel restricted to the point of not being able to truly create quality content that I feel confident about. Um, But yeah, I think that is, it's an interesting transition. And it's like one of the questions I get asked most about like career-based or um, entrepreneur-based themes is like, when, when is it time? When do Mm -hmm. you know? And the question is always, when, not if? And my argument is always, not everybody needs to quit their day job. No. Oh my gosh. Oh, side hustles are a beautiful thing and a pressureless thing and a thing that can absolutely flourish because you don't need them to. I couldn't agree more. I feel like there's so many people who can't, won't, shouldn't quit their, their day jobs. I'm a huge proponent. You can have a full-time job and still be an influencer and do both well. You have to be wired to do yeah. so. I think... Like you work a lot. Oh my gosh. The I mean, hours like- are <laughs> insane in my full-time job, but I love it and I live yeah. for it. I, I, I live to work. I don't work to live. Yeah. Um, I love working and I don't feel guilt because I have like one of my favorite Chicago influencers, Hyatt Rita. She's incredible. And she has this philosophy of first and second shift. She's also a workfluencer. She works at Facebook and Instagram. She also has a blog. Ooh, I need to follow. Oh, she's incredible. Workfluencer is my new term. Workfluencer, yeah. <laughs> Still trying to make that happen. I'm so sorry, but it's true. And Hyatt's a great example of it, similar to Eva. And 
Hyatt talks very candidly about when I'm at work, I'm at work. My mind is at work. My my all intentions are at work. And after 16 years of a career, like my focus is to make my team, my clients, and my agency successful. Like everything else is on the back burner for me. Personal success, Instagram, influencer, everything. Yeah. I want my team to succeed. I want my I want that agency to succeed so badly. Um, and so in that first shift, my mind is turned off. So the first shift happens, which is a long shift. <laughs> PR is not for the faint of heart. It's not a nine to five. Um, there are many times where you have to work through the night. Um, and then second shift comes for me. And that's when I turn off my PR hat and still monitor my emails. But yeah. <laughs> it's key. So I've been able to separate it. It means long nights, early mornings, weekends. You know, we'll shoot all the time from morning till the light goes down and edit. But we love it. And if we didn't love it, we would stop. And yes. um, the, the blog side. I'm going to briefly interrupt this interview because I want to tell you about our sponsor today. I mean, we're talking about all things influencer. And I got to say, you know, one of the influencer rites of passage I identified a couple years ago, so much so that I put it as a line in my book, is that all of a sudden people are getting mattresses in a box. And I was like, wow, I hope one day a mattress arrives at my door in a box. I hate mattress shopping. It's very strange. You have to carry on a full conversation lying down on multiple beds that are like soiled floor samples and like trying to carry on a full conversation with a person like stand like hovering over you. It's just kind of my nightmare. And I've always wanted to order one online. I was a little bit scared. I'm not going to lie. I assume a lot of you guys are too. This is why I want to explain Helix to you and why I'm working with them specifically because they don't have a one size fits all mattress that they assume everybody will like. There's just no way that everybody could like the same mattress. We all have different preferences. And what Helix does on helixsleep.com, their website, they have a quiz and it takes like two minutes to complete and it matches your body type and your sleep preferences to what will be the perfect mattress based on their research, their algorithm, et cetera. And it asks all sorts of questions like, are you a side sleeper, a hot sleeper? Do you like plush, firm, um, all of that? So you don't have to kind of compromise and get something that's, you know, one size fits all, fits all or just for one partner or the other. It asks about you. It asks about your partner uh, or, you know, whoever you may be sharing your bed with if they have strong sleep preferences. And that way everybody is happy and you can meet in the middle with their like insane mattress technology. I wish I understood mattress technology and could tell you why, but the bed we got is like, it's so plush and soft, but it's supportive and I don't wake up with achy joints. That's my issue with like hotel beds and stuff sometimes that they're so gloriously soft, but there's no support. And whatever they did, it was perfect because I get hot very easily and I'm not hot and I also sleep on my stomach like a baby and apparently I'm not supposed to be sleeping on my stomach. Uh, apparently I'm like really playing fast and loose with chest wrinkles but I'm not even worried because I crash so fast in this bed. I love it so much. I think that they're the best in the business because they have the ability to match you with the perfect mattress even though you can't sit or sleep or lay on it yourself. And the best part is they, well there's a 10 year warranty and you can try it out for 100 nights risk free. They, they, they swear they will pick it up if you don't love it. It really is low risk. And uh, I really think you'll be happy. I think mine's called the Dusk, if and just in case you were wondering. Um, but anyway, Helix is offering up to $125 off all mattress orders for Be There in 5 listeners at helixsleep.com slash be there in 5. That's helix, H-E-L-I-X, sleep.com slash be there in 5 for up to $125 off your mattress order. And yeah, try it risk-free. I swear you'll love it. I've had some listeners reach out and be like, this is awesome. It's not a thin foam mattress. It's like a very thick, substantial, nice, nice mattress without the markup. And like, I really cannot speak more highly of it. So helixsleep.com slash be there in five, F-I-V-E, not the number. Love you so much. Thanks. Okay. So we're talking about um, you uh, keeping your day job and working 
at Zapwater, which you're now a VP and you now have um, a team. And I love how you talk about your team being like so talented and smarter than you. I think the mark of any good oh, leader is wanting people to like overtake them, right? They, and, <laughs> and they already do. Yeah. They 100% already do. I love that. They're um, incredible. So, okay, a big thing you work on or with um, like, and correct me if I'm wrong, you work with a lot of uh, brands, specifically travel-based brands, and a lot of your job is vetting influencers for opportunities for your PR clients. Is that correct? Yes, definitely. So um, one of the roles that I am thankful to play is to create these influencer trips or working with our VP of social media and influencer who I've worked with for nine years. It would be remiss of me not to mention her because she is a very huge part of that. So I don't, I'm not taking credit for mm-hmm. what I'll talk about in terms of influencer trips because it takes a village and it's led by um, Stephanie Poquette, who's like my colleague and she's incredible what she does. And she is my like literal, we, we work in tandem together on so many things. Um, so me and Steph will you know, with her team, ideate around these influencer trips and pay campaigns and basically anything influencer out of all three offices is run out of Chicago, which is great. Oh, amazing. Mm -hmm. So, okay, a brand comes to you and they're like trying to promote a thing. What is the process of like finding the right people to represent them? And like, like how, like I'd imagine for me, it just would be like my normal lurking and like paying attention to people. But professionally, it's like, you know, those are my arbitrary standards of like, yeah, this person's really good with their community or this person has good content, but it's like, those aren't metrics. Right. Like how do you kind of like gauge who to, who people should work with? So it depends on the brand objective. I think, yeah. you know, we always start with the why. Mm-hmm. So why are we doing this? Mm-hmm. Is there a reason for it? Is this going to truly benefit for some clients they want to just simply raise awareness? And the way we cast for that is very different than someone who's coming to us for, Um, you know, a conversion-specific campaign. Mm. So in my mind, I'm always looking for converters. I think you can be an awareness driver and a converter, and that's the unicorn I'm always looking for. Yeah, Um, but a total funnel closer. Yeah, totally, (laughs) right. But it's like a match made in heaven for sure. And so we start with the objective, but nine times out of ten, like we're working with businesses, like where brands are businesses yeah. and they want to make money. And yeah. the way I keep my job and our teams keep their jobs are making our brands money. So even if it's an awareness focused campaign, I'm always thinking about the bottom line. I'm always thinking about how can we show tangible metrics of how this is going to move the needle of their business. Everyone takes beautiful photos. Everyone has amazing, engaging audiences. Well, I shouldn't use a universal. Not every, yeah. not everyone. A lot of people. But <laughs> uh, yeah, a lot. Like. A lot, a lot of people have that. So what will differentiate someone over another is typically about can they move the needle? Mm-hmm. Does their audience trust and listen to them truly? So you start with the why, you get the campaign, we look for converters. But we also look at like, I'm just going to take a hotel because it's okay. just a good example. So if a hotel is based in Mexico, um, let's just say Cancun. Okay. We're going to look at the markets that fly most to Cancun because flights matter in travel. If they have direct airlift to a hotel, that's key. So mm, let's yeah. just say, I'm going to just throw out randoms, but like Houston, Chicago, and LA. Okay. Let's say those yeah. are the three. Then we're going to say, well, we're going to look at those markets because those markets matter for that destination, for that resort, yeah. and that's going to drive business. So then you start with Houston and you start going through, and we have we've invested in so many tools to vet authenticity of influence. 
So we start mm. with like third party tools with different methodologies that gauge. Okay. Yep. So often we theme our trips. So maybe it's a luxury trip. So we're going to look at who has an affluent audience with a very authentic following who has incredible engagement from Houston and the surrounding areas and Austin and Dallas and beyond. And then how's the quality of their content? I also am very cognizant, and this is probably not a widespread approved statement of our agency, but, or industry, but I, I tend to not only focus on travel mm-hmm. influencers because a beach is a beach is a beach. Like, how do you tell the difference between <laughs> sometimes right. photos that are taken in Fiji or Bora Bora or Maldives? Like, it can be tricky when your entire feed is focused on that. So I really love someone with a diversity of content yeah. who's speaking to their audience in different ways, and they trust them on many different topics. Yeah, it stands out to me. when If somebody's always on trips, I'm like, oh, another trip. Um, but when people aren't on these trips all the time, it's very obvious, and it, yeah. there's a stickiness to that. You you hit it on the head. There's a stickiness. It's memorable. Um, it has that cut through clutter, which is yeah. such a jargon term, but it's true. Like you remember, you're like, wow, like that person hasn't been to Mexico in forever. Like, yeah. I don't know the last time that person was able to take a break. That's so cool. And they save it. They save that right. photo. So we've gone through the authenticity of following. We've thought about the markets that matter. We thought about even like, I won't, I don't want to bore you too much, but there's no, so there's much this, data behind people it. Like, don't know. This is so interesting. So, yeah, you just look through all these data points and um, we know where audiences are based. And then I think something that Zapwater is trying to be a huge proponent of, I think no one is perfect at it. I think we have to be, as an industry, so much better about it, is thinking of diversity in all forms. Thinking of diversity in terms of age, body type, sexual orientation, ethnicity, everything. I'm not talking about just one thing. I'm talking about everything. Mm -hmm. And I really want to continue to be a proponent of that in the industry. I think it's so critical. So we definitely use that as an element and layer of making sure that we level set with ourselves and make sure that we have a really thoughtful, curated group of people that don't all look alike, they don't Mm -hmm. all sound alike, that everyone has an audience that is powerful for a reason and it's just making sure our reasons are a strong alignment with the objective of the campaign. Yes. So... I could send you those two hands clapping emojis. <laughs> like, how do I do that in person? Uh, but, uh, but I it's agree. So it's important. incredibly important for your client, too, to make sure that uh, anybody that would want to come participate in their brand feels represented. Yeah, and it's it's ridiculous we, in this day and age we even have to say it, but we have to do better. Yes. Um, and right. I want to be a forefront for, and our agency, I believe, is at that, of always keeping that in mind and doing our best within, you know, whatever power we have to yes, do it because the client has final say right so like they approve everything so we can cast our tier one options and have a second tier and they might not pick everyone on our list um and that's a reality and that's okay and there's usually reasons behind that um so yeah and again that might be a tangent but it, it you'll see that there are a lot of layers to casting with confidence and that's what I want to do for our clients is for them to know that they're every dollar they're spending every flight they're paying for every head in bed button seat you know, body on the beach, breakfast, that, that it mattered. (laughs) Um, and that I want to be a good steward of their finances and of their trust to cast a trip. That's not going to be a fun party on the beach that they will see tangible business metrics because of the work and hours that we spent planning this. And it all starts with picking the right people. Yes. And it's, this is the worst metaphor I could possibly think of, but like 
it's kind of like um, everybody thinks has their this idea of like how a person looks with like Botox or filler, like they've had work, but they don't realize that the people with the best work, you're never going to know they had work. Yeah. It's like those trips that yeah. look like they're just like making they it look rain. Effortless. They have no budget issues like money's not an object these people are just like having a beach party Mm -hmm. it means it's meticulously orchestrated so true yeah (laughs) if it it looks effortless right (laughs) trust me it wasn't right (laughs) it took a lot of yeah and I think some of the consumer resentment for lack of a better word um is in people thinking that people are getting paid to just go like party and drink cocktails and what they're not seeing is that that person is actually quite tied to a set of criteria that they have to perform because they are at work and I think explaining yeah. that is kind of helpful because it, I, I think that it, there needs to be more grace given at times to, you know, just because a job is different doesn't mean it's wrong. And just because it looks fun doesn't mean that it is. <laughs> right. Or that it doesn't work. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't work. I mean, there are some trips that are designed to be just that, yeah. right? Like as, as a publicist, we want our attendees to have a of blast. Course. Like we, but we also, we would be remiss. You're paying them though. Yeah. Uh, no, actually oh, not. Um, not all. No. Oh. Um, most of our trips are earned. Uh, we. Oh, so free travel mm-hmm. logic. Got yeah. Okay. Which I know is not. And trust me, I value influencer payments. Um, I know that that's, you know, a free trip doesn't pay someone's mortgage. I understand that I'm, I'm being on that side. Trust me, I get it. At the same time, travel budgets are not limitless. Like right. that is an industry that does not have the budget to pay people on top of sometimes what is worth upwards of a $15,000 trip. Like right. You just cannot afford that plus ones, plus times five people. Of course. So it's very rare. Um, but we try to be cognizant of that. If there is budget, trust me, we'll give it. But we really pride ourselves on creating experiences that are so priceless and worthwhile that it's it's worth it to yes. just get the content. Um, not a popular viewpoint, I'm sure, but it's just the reality of the travel industry very much a reality of the travel industry. You do not get into travel influencing if you want to get paid left and right because it's just not there. That no, for every, everywhere at least. That's really interesting, and I wouldn't argue that it's unpopular. Um, I actually think that would that's like helpful to know. I think it actually helps for people to understand uh, what is like cash flow and what is comped mm-hmm. um, in terms of how it's perceived. Mm-hmm. Because I think that like it's uh, it, it honestly now that you said that it makes more sense that it would be more so of a travel cost covered because if I were you with like the PR hat on, I would always be wanting to put the client's dollars in a place that's adding value to the experience and highlighting, mm-hmm. doing something for their brand and not just putting it in a, in a pocket for the hell of it because there's a lot of people that would create great content that would add more value. Right. And that right. would be like a hard thing to kind of figure out where to allocate. But yeah, budgets, budgets are complicated, right? Yeah. Um, and at the same time, like we do, we really value creating thoughtful itineraries and experiences that are worth it for the influencer's time, which is money on their end. And yeah. we know that. Um, so I think the beauty of being on both sides, that workfluencer state, is me also understanding the value partnership agreement of the give-get if it's based solely on trade. Yeah. So if I'm going to work with the team and staff to curate these trips, invite these people... Um, that when we send through the contracts, because there are contracts of what posts are required, hashtags, FTC disclosures, which is key, yeah. even if it's just trade, yeah. it's key. You've got to disclose, disclose, disclose. Um, I still want to make sure that the amount of posts are thoughtful 
in comparison to the value of the trip. And I think we've heard um, time yeah, and time, time, time and time again from so many influencers on our trips how realistic our post quantities are because we value their content and their time. And we want to be realistic that we get that any square space within their Instagram feed, a blog post within their blog ecosystem, that matters. Mm -hmm. And so I think we're incredibly cognizant of it. I think most of the influencers on the trips that have gone with us would say as such, we're very realistic. Um, and so that's outlined before they even like sign on to come to the trip? Yep. So contract is signed before the trip, even if it's trade, which it mostly is for travel. And it'll outline the requirements, FTC disclosures, liability, tons of different, <laughs> I won't go into all of it, indemnity yeah. clauses and beyond. I mean, Zapwater is fluent in that. I think we do influencer better than anyone. And it's because of that, that our contracts are ironclad, that we're very thoughtful to protect the influencer, protect our client and protect our agency. And yeah. it's equal win-win across the board. That's um, so, okay, when... After these trips are completed, are you able to kind of see who moved the needle and how and implement it going forward? Great question. So our team did the reward style like to know eight getaways last uh -huh. year. Where were those? Um, we didn't do all of them. We did Mexico and Morocco. Oh, cool. And we brought some of their top converting publishers to both locations, and it was incredible. And what I loved about that trip, and again, where Zapwater is just heads and shoulders above other agencies is understanding metrics and measurement. And so every single trip, every single post, every single blog post was measured upon completed reservations. So we were able to tell that these trips converted to wow. reservations and it was incredible. So our clients saw that we didn't just waste all this money that we were able to truly show a correlation between a single Instagram post and a reservation yeah. for two months down the line. That's incredible. See, I didn't think that that type of uh, KPI was even accessible. It's crazy, right? It is crazy. But it's not just all about data and metrics. I also want to be clear that we really also very much keep in mind like people's personality mm -hmm. and reputation in the industry. And the PR industry is so small. Um, so I'm so thankful to have, and I know the agency in general has such a huge network of agencies that we talk to. And we openly, candidly have discussions about good influencers, bad influencer experiences. And we keep track like yeah. of influencers that haven't performed. Um, that's not to scare anyone or make them feel no, I mean, odd. But I, moreover, we also track who's really difficult to work with. Yeah, I would um, imagine. And and it's not just who we interact with, but I often think people think, oh, I had a bad experience with an agency. You know, I was kind of mean and awful on a trip and didn't fulfill my requirements. No one will know. No, 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 no. Actually, like, you have no idea how one bad experience will end up impacting people move around new jobs. Again, the industry is very small. We have a great network of publicists who speak to each other, even if we're competitors, to say, yeah. hey, listen, watch out you know, this, this is a tricky experience and it doesn't happen often, thankfully, yeah. but it does happen. And um, it's a domino effect that I don't think when people get invited on a trip, have a bad experience um, on our side, think, wait, why am I not on another trip? Or why haven't I been invited by that agency? I feel like my name's no longer popping up in invitations. It might, right. it might correlate with that. Well, yeah, it's confusing. Uh, con it's, it's, Confusing when you're uh, autonomous and self-employed and then 
your but your deals are funneled through another organization that you essentially do need to report do listen to respect and abide by and I think that um, it becomes hard for some people to shift out of like I do what I want when I want and contracts are a thing and they're important right and I think that like you know obviously the good is more than the bad but like that's just like life and statistically like there's a strong percentage of people that suck at jobs (laughs) and like it's like any performance thing you weed out the bottom 10 percent like it just is what it is. Not everybody's going to perform optimally all the time. That's that's true. Yes. And if and I can't think of any other industry, I'm sure there are some, where when you sign a contract that if you don't fulfill it, like if you're at a, in a job, you get fired. Like if exactly. you don't perform. Exactly. Um, and sadly, I would say that's the one thing that like, I, again, I advocate for influencers. I always will. I always have. I know it works. But it is the hardest thing to watch is when people don't fulfill their contracts or their obligations um, just because it, it impacts them, it impacts the industry, it impacts uh, perception. It's just really, it's tough. It doesn't happen all the time, but it happens more than I you would think. Um, yeah. And so I hope that people take contracts more seriously and realize that like it, it matters. Of course. And I think it's the instinct of a, of like a kind, supportive champion type of person to not want to frame any of it negatively, but I actually think you're more of a champion by saying, like, to stand up for influencers, I need to call out the bad behavior that makes yeah. influencers look bad. Right, Because there's right. a lot of it and, it, and it just is what it is. And, like, I think that, I mean, at least the trips I've observed from you guys, I agree with you about the um, selective content because I was trying to stalk your Finland trip pretty hard. And you, you, you didn't know, like, you know, 32 chiclet, like, tiny stories at the no. top. They were, like specific targeted they showcased where you were and what you were doing but it wasn't like every single asinine moment that almost just makes you ultimately flip through like right you know what you're doing and I think it's so fascinating and I think um like is there is there like any one thing that like loses you in terms of um kind of like the death wish of a thing that can happen that you feel like either influencers don't get or like the ones that kind of don't always get on your like re-invite list like a particular thing that goes on is it just like not posting correctly or against the contract contracts key because that's something that like our clients hold our feet to the fire yeah. so they're not just impacting themselves or impacting us and our team right. and that really is hard when pick we pick them, them. Yeah. yeah so that that is a is a big mortal sin um, yeah I think the other thing which sounds so crazy because it's such a 101 is just be nice yeah um be nice totally. um and don't just be nice to, you know, being an SVP at the agency. It's really easy to be nice to the leadership. Yeah. But we, I mean, everyone, I mean, right. everyone on our team matters. We're a very flat organization. So whether you're an intern and assistant publicist yeah. or the CEO of the agency, I care how people are treating our team and they, you'd be surprised. And I'm, I'm sad to say like, how someone will treat me versus someone else on my team. And we talk all the time. I'm right. so close with my team. We work with each other more time than I see my husband. Like I see them all more. Um, so I think that that's something to be cognizant of is just um, people show their true colors when you yeah. don't think that you're looking. Right. But not only are we looking, like we're talking about it right. among each other. So simple things. It's not like you have to be the nicest person on the planet all the time. We all have our moments and jet lag and yeah. wake up on the wrong side of the bed and life happens. Um, but I think that there is a professionalism and politeness that can easily be instilled across a trip um, to everyone who is attending. Oh, yeah, of course. I didn't, well, yeah. I didn't know my face on the mic. Um, <laughs> no, I think... Uh, 
well, it's kind of like on the flip side of that, I'm friends with a lot of bloggers and um, not specific to your agency whatsoever, uh, mostly people in like New York that have kind of expressed that they feel like um, they're almost on the defense working with a lot of PR companies. Like mm-hmm. um, PR companies are already at times very irritated with influencers feeling like they might be rude or feeling like maybe they aren't as important as their other clients. And I feel like I've had a lot of the stories I've heard are like of like tense situations or kind of feeling like their uh, baseline being spoken to in a certain way that starts out their relationship like at a bad place from the start, which is just something I would point out that I've heard a lot in terms of like, I think if somebody, you have one too many bad influencer experiences and you're expecting them to act a certain way, you probably modify how you talk going forward. And then if the person's like innocent, you know what I mean? You're kind of like, you're coming at me hard. And I think that like in some ways, and uh, I've heard that side of it too. And it's just interesting to think about dynamics in that sense of like where people are coming from. You know what I mean? Like, what in, in kind of to your point, it's like it's not like you have to be the nicest person all day, every day. Oh, no. Because ev- there's a context and a time and place for everything. But I love that you guys are like very respectful and you herald and support influencers. Because I think for some old school PR agencies, it's like an it's like a vertical that was like added and it's just not as revered as some of the other uh, sides of PR that are done. Oh, my gosh. It's so important. Like, they, yeah, yeah influencers are such a assets and you're right like I think because it's so new that it, some agencies are still struggling to figure out how to do it and I think we're all learning I'm not saying that yeah um, Zapwater is perfect at everything I think we're really good at a lot of things but I think we have a lot to work on too every day and um, I hope I mean PR agencies also have to earn their reputations too right, right. so it's not just a one-sided thing we also have to earn the influencers trust um, we want them to want to continue to work with us too because right. many I mean I've been on the influencer side where I've worked with an agency and been like oh my goodness like that agency really needs to get you know their game in order right right so I think seeing both sides, I, I definitely get it that when you have a really bad PR agency experience, it can really sour things for you right. going into any experience and vice versa. Um, so I think going in with fresh eyes, um, advocating for influencers, but also just like making sure that you um, set them up for success. Yeah. Like influencers should be set up for success from day one. It's allowing them to create content that they love through the lens that they want to see it, not trying to overly control what they're doing um, or their messaging or whatever. Like we, if you choose someone for a trip, you choose someone for a paid campaign, you pick them because you trust their content and believe their audience is going to do something with that information. Right. Go with that feeling. Yes. True. Don't try to like direct it too much because then you lose the magic then you see then audiences are like this is a paid campaign or trade campaign that's so obvious right versus something that's really powerful meaningful and um memorable memorable if you will so like if like would this be difficult if like you sent me on an international trip and I had a middle seat and coach (laughs) (laughs) could I be like hey sorry I'm oh my gosh absolutely absolutely (laughs) but that's like you have to like Know the, know the question before they answer, right? So we have, like, even travel questions to figure out if someone likes a middle aisle or, like, window seat. Oh, so you've already thought yeah, of all these you've things. you've already thought of it. That would be my fear. Um, <laughs> it's because when you don't want to be difficult, you don't want to be like, eh, can oh, you I? totally have to advocate for yourself. There's a difference between, like, knowing what you want and then just, like, being nice. It's very true. Uh, my other, the other thing I always wonder, I guess maybe more specifically with, like, a revolve trips, but I'm like, 
what if you get invited on one of these and like you don't want to take photos in like rows of women in a two piece? <laughs> like these are things I think about. I'm like I would never. But like would I not? Be oh no, I'm a content? one piece girl anyway, so that wouldn't have happened. I'm a one piece right? girl, but I'm not even a bathing suit oh, no. on the internet gal. No. Uh uh-uh, uh, yeah, I'm with you. Like, like I don't want to be on a beach. F- I, I'll be in a ball gown. I don't want to be. <laughs> In a bikini. Yeah, and you know how, like, in real life, like, when you're out with friends and stuff, like, people are like, let me see that photo. Don't use that one. Like, everyone's very specific about photos. I Do you have that jurisdiction when you're, like, a part of this group thing where, like, you just hope for the best that everyone looks okay? I think a big part of it, something that I recommend and have been doing for many years is that I ask who's going on the trip before I accept. Yeah. Uh, because it's not just about – this is the influencer side, obviously, yeah. but um, – and, and nine times out of 10, people are still going through contract phase and getting their flights in order. So sometimes it's hard to defend the brand to just to, to be able to give you that information at that right. time. But I think it's something to be very cognizant of because you're spending a lot of time like traveling together is it's a big thing. If you're going to Finland for six days and you're spending from seven in the morning till midnight with these people, you want to make sure that you you know who's going, who yeah, you totally. like. Um and so I try to recommend, and I do it myself, to ask who's going to be on the trip so I have a sense and baseline of who's going to attend, yeah. not to annoy the brand, not to annoy the agency, but also to avoid some of those experiences of worrying, like, is this representative of my my viewpoint of how influencer trips should be? Yeah. Like, I want diversity of all kinds. I want to be thoughtful about what type of content we need to create. And I haven't been perfect at it, um, but it... I, I'm more cognizant than ever about it. I, I think so many things are dynamic based. Like I'm only as like uh, engaging or entertaining as the people I'm talking to. Mm-hmm. And if you don't vibe, like you're not going to have the energy to no. be even. That's an interesting point because I don't think I would have asked that in, for fear of the being the friend that's like, well, who's coming to your house for me? <laughs> <laughs> like, are there going to be cool people? Kate, there? who's coming to your live show? Right, yeah. exactly. <laughs> like I, you, so you're like, oh, do you only care if cool people come? But really, yeah. it's like. Yeah, it, it, I think that's such an important piece. And I and yeah, I even forgot for a minute like you go on these as the influencer and you lead these as the PR person. So like what is the best one you've been on as like an influencer? Oh gosh, that's a really good question. I've been fortunate to be on a lot of really great ones. The first one that comes to mind was my first because I think that was so memorable cuz I was shocked any brand would want to take me anywhere and it was with Grey Goose. Oh, oh yeah. nice. Yeah, Grey Goose and they have an amazing mansion. It's like their headquarters in France called Les Logis. And it's not go- bad. Yeah. <laughs> and That's so, a pretty good trip. I thought you were going to be like, their headquarters is in Arkansas. I, I still would <laughs> have gone. I still would have gone. <laughs> and um, their team did a spectacular job. The agency was amazing to work with. Um, I love, I try to send brands that I've had great experiences on great feedback about their agency when yeah. they're great to work with because I'd want the same thing. Yeah, for sure. Um, and so Leilogy, it was like a group of mostly Chicago influencers um, and a few other like Texas-based influencers. And it was just fantastic. There was like the itinerary is pretty relaxed. And it was the first time I really got a window, which is why it's so memorable to me mm, yeah. of what an influencer trip looks like. Um, the second one, so influencer trips go in two forms. There's the group trips where there's multiple people on it mm-hmm. and then the individual trips. Oh, okay. I didn't think about that. So the individual trip that comes to mind that I absolutely love was this year with Hotel Tonight. And they're, oh my gosh, the I use the app anyways, always have. And they reached out and they're like, hey, do you want to do this great project about our daily drop? And I was like, sure. 
Um, the daily drop feature is basically where they give you like, I think it's like 10 minutes to yeah. get a great deal. But they wanted my audience to vote on what city I went to. That is so fun. It was so fun. <laughs> I love that idea. It was great. It took the complete, like, as a contr- somewhat control freak, I was like, this is the worst. Wait, I'm obsessed I with did. this. Yeah. And not only that, my audience voted on every single thing we did that trip. I had no control over anything. It was like, where do you want me to go to breakfast? Like, they got to, we got to, actually, that's, I want to be transparent, that we narrowed down options. Well, right, of And course. then they picked. Yeah. But we had no idea. It was like, should we go mural hunting or go to museums? Should we go? And it was like three days of just our audience completely voting on what our experience was. You and Bob? Yeah. That is so cute and fun and clever and engaging. I love that. It was awesome. I want to do it more just in general and just be, we don't have kids. I'm able to just go, you know, anywhere on the dime. And I think it would be incredible just to do it without I mean hotel tonight I'm still here but it was like I I loved it I loved it that much because the premise of it was uh again taking the control away from the influencer Mm -hmm. but I still was able to do the content in the way that I saw fit without a lot of oversight directives they just yeah and let my audience speak with and for me and that was so cool it was so meaningful so thoughtful great campaign great brand I use it I love it it was authentic it was a slam dunk. Choose your Amazing own adventure. Yeah, exactly. Life. That's so cool. Yeah. I, I, well, it's funny. Like, um, my friends that work in hospitality have given me a very, like, uh, uh, they've made it seem like influencers reach out to them so much. They have absolutely no regard for anything that can be done for them on the hotel front, which I know isn't true, broad strokes at all. Um, obviously, especially for major destinations, it's extremely important. But I think that um, there are a lot of there's a lot of private outreach outside of agencies of people that they've maybe worked with that don't produce, and then it, it becomes this thing where they're like don't believe in influencers, but really they're projecting their small experience on the whole, and they need to be doing it in a professional capacity. It's yeah. I mean, our our destiny, our clients, just in general across the board, doesn't matter if it's fashion, beauty, real estate, design any of it, the amount of influencer emails that are sent per day is astronomical. And so we love taking that work off their plate. And you're right, like one bad apple can ruin the bunch. And I think it's important um, to just, thankfully, our clients are so in partnership with them. And we have such longstanding clients that they know just afford it because they don't have time. They wear so many hats, like just take care of this. But you're right, like for those that don't necessarily have the funds, the time to have an agency, like that is crazy and when you have a bad experience it just it yeah. sours your your viewpoint and um and like those those yeah. dumb articles come out you know like oh, how there yes. was that oh, fa- gosh that was bad it was so like so bad like uh yeah i think that those are the things that get picked up mm. which is frustrating in like this industry but um and it it just kind of gives it a bad name but i think that uh i don't know i just think there's so many levels of it that are super interesting because the uh i think that there's creative ways it can be done. And then there's ways that, um, and I've talked to you about this before. And I, I, I think that like influencer trips are so great at highlighting places that a person that's like minded or like you and your demographic, like would like you get to see inside of it. I feel like so often I hate planning travel because I'm like dreading, like scrolling through TripAdvisor. Right. It's like, I want a live interpretation of like sure. what it actually looks like. And I really do rely on so many, um, like, uh, viewing influencer content and looking at stuff through Instagram for that, I think where the pe- where people struggle on the receiving end is like 
and I think it's a struggle with anything in life, whether it's a friend's giving or a trip to Napa, it's hard on social media feeling left out or feeling mm-hmm. like everybody's having so fun. And it's like, how, how do you convey uh, uh, that you're having a wonderful time and enjoying a special experience without making people feel... Left out. left out or inferior like oh gosh that's awful yeah and it's, it's like a weird it's philosophical a, question it's not anyone's fault it's just like I think a, a reality of social media mm-hmm. and I think that's a, like and I, I specifically am thinking of like revolve Coachella fat you know what I mean like these things where like every cool girl and all their coolest friends are like just wearing like cool fringe outfits and like you're just like I could never and I think like that's where I come from as a consumer of like I love um, the priority of diversity I love the priority of personality I appreciate uh, when when brands, when agencies go at it from an angle of we, we can't manufacture chemistry, we can't manufacture and shouldn't the exact mm-hmm. footage of this, but we should do the best we can to um, not just make it the person with the biggest following that looks like every other person with the biggest oh, following and just have like the it girls. Because I do think there's a level of wear out there in FOMO that is uh, not, I don't want to say damaging, but like it it, it does reach a point of like, uh, you know, you want to you, you want a balance of reach and frequency, right? Mm. It's like when you've a lot of people are aware of it, and we're seeing it over and over and over again. Like we're good. <laughs> yeah, it's fatigue. Yeah, it's fatigue. It's total yeah. fatigue. And I think to your point, there's a difference between like really meaningful trips where someone really is a true guest of a yes. property, a destination, and it's like you can see yourself doing it because they're literally every single experience is available to the hotel guest as is. Right. Or destination. Right. Um, you know, in Finland, where I just came back from, anyone can do, do a husky ride. Anyone can do that. Right. We haven't manufactured these experiences specifically for this group. We are showcasing the best of the partners within the destination that have to offer that anyone can book at any time at their discretion. Where you're saying that, I'm not saying that doesn't lead to some FOMO, um, and and but that is never the end goal. The end yeah. goal is to show if you decide to come here, here's what's available if you yeah. would like to. Um, there's also the difference of the manufactured then trip where there's fireworks and there's Ferris yeah, wheels developed you have and some bells Ferris and wheels of cupcakes that yeah, I know you mentioned yeah. before <laughs> and like you know the the presidential suite. Like I get that that's not always applicable. So as a publicist, as um, as an agency. You have to create meaningful itineraries that are allowing the influencers the time and space to create content that feels meaningful for their audience where they don't feel FOMO. I think we never want to cast someone whose audience feels FOMO for yeah. what they do. I think that it starts with casting. Right. Um, and also with developing trips that are thoughtful and the messages are not about making someone feel left out because that is definitely the last thing. We right. Of course. Do. Of course. Yeah. And I think it's so often it's inadvertent and maybe too, it's just like things, you know, with female friendships and stuff like, you know, it, it, it is what it is, but I actually would argue that what I've seen of your trips, I think are so interesting. And I would liken it to almost, um, how like in a great television show or uh, like, well, I guess like the episode, the show that comes to mind is sex in the city, how like New York city is just as much a character as any of the other girls. I feel like making the um, destination a character that kind of uh, transcends the influencers in a good way. Oh my gosh, that's like the best compliment ever. Yeah, that's what it should be, right? It's like the influencers are the storyteller, Mm -hmm. but they're not um, the thing being featured necessarily. Right, they're just integrated into the narrative, but it's a thoughtful, you know, background. I, I just think it all comes down to the intention of the trip and it really is up to 
yeah, the agencies and the brands and the destinations and the influencers to work collaboratively to make sure that it's it's meaningful and yeah. not offensive to their audience in yeah. any way. And I really, but again, I think that's what's impossible about social media is that it's it's it, yes. how it's received isn't up to you. Never. No, it's yeah. and you do the best you can to make it look a certain way and your intentions are and different from how things are perceived and in social media you incur more risk at the perception just because it's uh it's just an avenue where people are comparing. Yeah. And that's just the reality of life um, because it's not fiction. It's not a commercial. It's not a TV show. Like right. it's allegedly, even though we all intellectually know it's a highlight reel, it's hard to like uh, kind of uh, reconcile that when you're having a bad day, when you're feeling left out, when you want friends, oh when you're gosh. going through a breakup, whatever the hell it is. But it just doesn't help when it's like, all I have no idea where they are. I have no idea what they're doing, <laughs> right. but I just know I see like four to six mega hotties wearing like jorts and combat yeah, boots. Right, and I'm like, right. happy for you, but like, what is this doing? Is it? Right, <laughs> right. Like, what value is this adding? And again, right. not trying to hate on things, but like the good thing about social media is that we vote with our likes, we vote with our follows, we it's vote with true. our wallets. So if very something true. is not bringing you entertainment, joy, inspiration, click the defollow button. Yeah. It is not worth that space in your life. True. And it is so transactional on social media that like it's okay to to not put yourself in a position, although it's human, it happens to me all the time, um, to do so. But yeah, it's a reality. It is definitely a reality. Um, but I, I go back to that of entertain, inspire, inform. Those are yeah. things that you can do and there's um, a lot of value in that for your audience and you can do it in a way, hopefully, hopefully, where it doesn't create... Um, the comparison game. It's natural, it's human, but yeah. hopefully it can be um, your audience trusts you that you're not, your intention is not that. Right, of course. Well, like to loop back to something we talked about earlier, like do you think that like if you're an influencer, you're trying to be an influencer and you're kind of um, wanting to get more involved with brands or PR companies or, or start to dabble, like what's push versus pull? Like what the way you described it, I think is so fascinating and I think will be interesting for people because it's passive on the influencer's part. I mean, to a degree, right? Like you build on your end through whatever, um, you know, alchemy leads you to a place where you're, you have high engagement, you have decent numbers and people start to notice organically or do people should and how should people reach out? Because mm -hmm. like even like, I'll, like in, to use myself as an example, I've lived here for so long. Uh, most people I know in the influencer realm have like four to six events a week. I maybe get invited to one a month. I'm like, where, like, where in this world do people like get themselves on a list to like go grab a cocktail, like post about a brand, just because I like to want to meet people, like want to make friends. It's less about like seeing and being seen, but like uh, when you you work for yourself, there's a finite amount of people that have like similar jobs. Yeah. And so my friend, like we've talked, like I don't know, it's something that my friend and I talk about a lot in terms of like networking uh, in this type of job is much harder than corporate networking. <laughs> Because you have to get invited. Mm, on the list. Yes. Yeah, that's tricky. You really have to be in a lot of places at once to be noticed. But yeah. so much of it is like um, building a relationship over time. So you do have to be forward. You do have to put yourself out there. It can't just be waiting to be found on Instagram just because your feed is beautiful. Like that won't yeah. happen. So you do have to sign up for resources and register to be seen and noticed. For example, Cision, which is like the Bible for publicists, former Bacons, like it is an amazing online database that uh, agencies use to find uh, editors, yeah. freelance writers, broadcast producers, but also influencers. Right. And it tells us 
a lot of data. It'll tell us, you know, your readership. It'll tell us um, some of your social media following, your email address, when you like to be emailed, what you write about. So it's a quick um, quick search feature for us to be able to get to some names that we want. Mm-hmm. And there are plenty of decisions in the world that is seriously only one example. I think four, four.co, founded F-O-H-R. by James Moore. Yeah, F-O-H-R. Yeah. Oh, right. He has that... Um, a drink with a drink James. With, yeah. I think he's incredibly um, thoughtful with the influencer space. I highly recommend watching his uh, videos every Monday if you're an influencer and or not. Actually, I think it's just a great period. But signing up for four is great. Just getting on, searching for lists to be a part of databases mm-hmm. is great. Um, I also think one of the things we often take note of are just people who are posting organically about brands that they want to work with um, or liking our agency's feed or commenting on our clients' posts. Like we do take great note of that. And then, of course, there's the old-fashioned email. And we get a lot of them, mm-hmm. a lot, a lot, a lot of them. And I love that. But <laughs> do you? I feel like there's like a cri- – it's very hard to not be super cringy to be like, hey – this is why I'm interesting. <laughs> Reach out. <laughs> I mean, the amount of emails for an agency and PR, a publicist per day, I, I don't even want to get into. It's it's astronomical. Um, but I think when an email is short, it's um, concise and cogent. Yeah. <laughs> As my agency CEO says, it's great. Tell us who you are. Tell us what you want. Tell us your idea. Yeah. Okay. And it's so hard to do that concisely. It really is. It really is. But I can tell you, most things can get done in two paragraphs. Mm-hmm. So yep. it's like, just get to the get to the intention of the email, mm-hmm. um, and I think be personalizing it. Just explain. A lot of times you'll get like the uh, media kit or an overview of someone, and like I'm based in um, Ontario, and I write about dogs, and I you know live here. And I think if your agency is ever doing a trip and bringing pets along, like let me know. Mm-hmm. Great pitch, but like know our clients, know why you're reaching out, give us an idea. Like we're open to those ideas. Yes. But I think you can't just say, hey, I exist, well, how, you should work with me. Yeah. You have to know who the client is, what the brand objective is, you know, how you, and how you pitch and personalize your pitch is key. How I'm gonna pitch Hourglass Cosmetics is mm-hmm. gonna be completely different than how I pitch La Mer. Like you have to be able to know your audience, know the brand, know their objective, know what they're trying to achieve. Yeah. And then make sure that your your email doesn't sound like you copied and pasted it across 18 beauty brands to mm-hmm. hope to get the same end result. Right. Um, because it won't. <laughs> right. A hundred percent. Same with agencies. Yeah. Well, and it's funny too, because like in trying to we've like uh, Courtney and I who works with me we've like built our own like advertising process out, not going with like a traditional network. It's been clunky and difficult and we've tried everything in the book from copy and pasting, from shortening, lengthening, like we've done it all and I'm sure half of it's cringy and like, you know, get me blacklisted, but we just like try different things because um, it is hard to cut through the clutter and it is hard to figure out, to know what's going to resonate with people at what time and like when to try again. And uh, it's, it's just, I don't know. I think it's such an, there's no formula for like how to make it or how to monetize. Mm -hmm. And I'm always telling people like making small connections online and like an organic networking, it's gotten me way farther than like an email ever did. Mm -hmm. So don't think that like, you know, DMing and commenting and engaging with people is a waste of time at all to your community point. Yeah. I think that's like a big part of it. Just like becoming, um, you know, more present in, in people's day to day in a way that's not like, look at me, but like they just want to, be you know engaged but um I think people just want an easy answer 
for like, how do I get invited? How do I get free shit? How do I do X, Y, Z? And like, I just, I don't know. I've, I just, it does, it's not that straightforward. It's an art and a science like we've talk, talked about. It is. It's art and science. And I think it's knowing who you are and what you want. So if you're going to spend your time trying to get on every list, every event, you don't want to be at every event. Right. Trust me, you do not want to be on every list. Like it, it will be email clutter for you getting right. a mass email for something you don't want to attend or, or join. So my best advice is figure out what you do want. You know, I always say chestnut checkers, things five moves ahead, not just one. What is your end goal? You know, when you think about your building your advertising network, whether it's you're thinking about building your blog or business or brand or whatever you're doing in life, you need to know the end to know the start. And so, you know, for me, I'm just going to use me as an example. You know, I really want to be fashion, travel, home with a slight edge of beauty. That's it. But mm-hmm. mostly fashion, mostly travel then home, then beauty. Mm. I know that. That's my long game. Hmm. And so then I go into those verticals. I'm taking, <laughs> the joke is, it looks like I'm taking notes because I'm the host. I'm taking notes for my own personal benefit. <laughs> like, yes, define categories. What do I want? Sorry. But yeah, define categories that you're passionate about and then within those brands. So for fashion, one of the best things my agency representation did um, was like, send us a list of your tr- top 20 dream brands. And I was like, well, this is going to be easy. It was really, really hard because I had the aspirational that is never going to pay attention to me. Mm-hmm. And then I had those attainable ones that haven't paid attention to me yet, but they just haven't found me. Yeah. And so I had a mix between the aspirational and marked as such to to my managers. And then the attainable ones that I felt were more realistic um, that that were in line with, with where I want to go. Same with travel. And then from there... It was just me, and still to this day, constantly engaging with those feeds. United Airlines, I, I'm probably their number one fan, I always say. Um, I'm a United diehard. Oh, my <laughs> Bless. I have, like, love. I have, like, three credit cards. Say what? It doesn't even make sense. Like, <laughs> they're I, so yeah. wonderful. I love United. I know no airline's perfect. Yeah, but, but there's not a lot of United stands. I got to say. There, wait, say I, again? I, I, there's not a lot of stands for United. I feel like they, like they don't get the super fans the way they should. Oh, yeah. Because they're honestly not... I've had such positive experiences. Such positive experiences. United's amazing. Again, no airline is perfect. Yeah. They do not have a perfect track record, but it is one of the toughest industries, right? Yeah, it's like so tough. It's it's in, you always get negative feedback, right? Because of delays, mechanical issues. The list goes on and on. But I knew United was my number one travel brand that I wanted to work with because I'm a one K flyer. I love them. I'm obsessed with them. I love the experience. I think they have a great product. I think their planes are fantastic and they're based in Chicago. I'm going to champion them here. Yeah. And they, I tag them for three years every (laughs) single time I took a flight. It's like Grace and Dunkin' Donuts. Yes. (laughs) Yes. For three solid years. And as a one K flyer who flies 150,000 miles per year, Trust me, that was a lot of tags. Yes. And I wasn't trying to get anything out of them except for them to know I was a fan. And if they ever wanted to work together in any capacity, I was all ears. Yeah. And three years later, I got to work with them and got to do a partnership with them. And now talking with them about like hopefully how I can collaborate with them next year. And so the point is, it's a long game, right? Three years. It was worth every single tweet every story every tag that they never paid for because I believe in the brand I use it I love it I want to tell people about it yeah um and I think they deserve the credit even though they get a lot of flack so it for all the good and not the bad so it just to me it's like pick your verticals know your long game and then don't try to be everything to everyone pick the things you're excited about like 
don't, yeah, I think that that's have laser focus. Interesting. Keep it, keep it tight. You know, time is valuable. We all can't do everything we want. We yeah. can't go to all the events we want. We can't work with every brand we want to, but we can work with some. Yeah. And all we have to do, Grace is a great example with Duncan. Persistence. If you persistence, <laughs> yeah, wear them down. No. But yes, if you really, really love a brand and you believe it and you know your audience is, is rooting for you for that, uh, yes, it is everything so that's like a big issue I I have with um influencer marketing it's like feeling like whoever's running the brand's social isn't paying attention to who's already talking about the brand mm. and this is like obviously coming from a lot of my own like hang-ups but like I literally would talk about like the Dallas Cowboys cheerleaders making the team show constantly <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> and like then they pick all these random people to promote the show that don't even like talk about television right and right it's like to ignore somebody, that's like what's so fascinating to me and like the detachment that I think is so interesting sometimes. It's like, were those people better suited? Probably. But um, it is, and I think that's like with like Duncan or whatever, when people have these brands they love or like me and Tahin, that seasoning salt, they, uh, they could not care less. And that's fine. But I would do anything for them for free. Like send me a $2 bottle yeah. of seasoning salt. Yeah. I have a meltdown and I'd unbox it. Yeah. And I feel like the super... <laughs> and we'd all reshare it and, and then go buy it. Yeah, and I feel like the milking of the super fan, the genuine super fan with a platform however small, should be milked more. Yes. And um, I really believe that. And like I kind of stopped tagging brands because it felt thirsty and no one ever responds. Oh, that's... Okay, we'll keep doing it. I really feel it's the future. I really, really, really do. Okay. I'll give you an example. So the Finland trip was all based on the Keeping Up with the Kardashians episode that we yes. filmed with them. And yeah, so... Sophia went on the trip with yeah. Courtney and Scott. It was right. a little uncomfortable in the hot tub. Right. Because Courtney was like, Sophia, your makeup's not blended. <laughs> Which just... I mean, I don't know. Was she watching out for her? It was just I, an was, odd it moment. It was confusing. It was confusing. But they went to Santa's workshop. They had this yes. beautiful trip. It was like... Santa's and, based in Finland. Officially. Yes, yes, exactly. And it, Finland was like the star of this episode. And it was like they went on this incredible trip that was partially featuring the tension between Scott, Courtney, and um, uh, Sophia, but also how Courtney got to take her kids to do all these magical Christmas adventures. Exact it was very sweet. Exactly. Oh, that's very nice. And so the reason I bring that up, though, is because to we had an influencer trip to bring influencers from the U.S. to go experience the trip that they had, do the same activities, stay at the same hotel, everything. And I was looking for fans of the show. Mm, yeah. It is very hard <laughs> to find. <laughs> it's really hard to find a fans of the show. Yeah. That's, not, that's not true. It's not like it's on your bio. No. It's, it's not like you're in, impossible when thing, I do a right. decision search, it's right. not like Kardashian super fan. Right. It's like, so my point being, you'd be surprised the more you tag, the more you talk, the more it starts to resonate in ways you'd never expect. Like casting yeah. that trip was one of the hardest things I've ever had to do because it's not information that's readily available. Who truly watches the episodes? Who would know organically right. that the family went to Finland and so that someone wasn't thirsty for a trip just trying to get on right. it for no reason? But really was like, oh, my gosh, that episode, let's talk about it. And during this trip, all the women were able to do so because they had seen it multiple times and were fans of the show, fans of the family, and were able to talk about it. So my point is, with your teen example, just keep tagging. Like, the power of a tag, it's yeah. going that direction. You'd be surprised, like, the smallest things you might tag might lead to something. Like, yeah. who would know that you consistently talking about the Kardashians would end land you a trip to Finland. You just never know. That's true. But yeah, I think like it's it's a fascinating thing of like how uh, you, 
want to appear genuinely interested, but not thirsty, but not just wanting free shit. You like, there, it's like really hard to like be sin- to come across sincere, even when you are. Right. And oh. I just like got to a point where I was like, I don't know. I just don't want to be that person that's like, hi. <laughs> How many free, how many new salt innovations? Right, right, right. sure. <laughs> but if you happen to be cooking or have yeah. it or whatever, and it happens to be there, it like costs you nothing, and yeah. the brand might end True. up leading to something big. You just you really never know. One thing I have to tell you, and I'll we'll wrap up soon. Um, the okay, if you ever uh, do you watch The Housewives? I do. If if there is ever a housewife trip to somewhere that's iconic, like I'd argue the Beverly Hills place, that chateau in France, or the Jonah, uh, you know, Sophie Turner and Joe Jonas got married, or like, you know, any of those places where these like shit goes down, or like Cartagena. Um, the funniest travel thing ever, even though they already got press, would be to take Bravo super fans that to those locations. I think that's so smart. That's 100% and it what would should be happen. Funny. And the content wouldn't be, it, yes, it would be like aesthetic and photos and whatever, but it'd be so much about the humor and the genuine fandom. And like, it's kind of like me going to the Warner Brothers set and like having a meltdown, like when I see Stars Hollow. Right. Yes. Like, I, like, totally. The, the, we want to celebrate the media we love and that are fans of. And I think there's such a strong tie between location and uh, plot for so many shows that it's like a, it's almost, I wish there was a way to convey what you're a fan of in, in a different sense, way because well, that would be interesting brilliant. content. Well, Andy Cohen should give us a call. I feel like what they should do is do BravoCon, but do it trips and sponsor, and they should have sponsored trips Bravo that Cons. fans can do. Yeah. I'm sure, do they have a cruise yet? I mean, there was like okay. the Top Chef cruises, like take a cruise, <laughs> go like, to the different destinations. Go to the different destinations and all of a sudden it's a new revenue channel for Bravo yes. as if they're not already printing cash but yeah Andy Cohen call us we can pull that together uh, for you 100% um so uh, I'll let you go shortly like do you like what is your kind of like do you have any idea of like going forward where you um see the industry shifting going forward that's like helpful for people to kind of know about and stay on top of for the influencer space itself it is bright like everyone talks about this influencer bubble and like will it burst and I think the same thing about like celebrities like celebrities are still there's still a people magazine there's still right. an us weekly people are still going to the gossip sites to talk about T Swift and like there it still exists of um, and it's bigger than ever yeah look at all the celebrities are now creating lines and growing their businesses and have these thriving sites and almost becoming bloggers themselves but yeah so I feel like for influencer there's no bubble I just think there's a big enough pie for everyone you have to earn your slice I just think the slices and the focus will go to the people that are clear on who they are their audience trusts them they're growing they're not they're keeping it real and authentic they're not taking brand deals for nothing that they're very thoughtful through it and just like going through the journey of life together with their audience, not just doing their life and hoping other people will come along, if yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, 100%. That it really is like a community-driven, focused approach. Um, I think the best influencers will be those that care more about others than themselves. I think yeah. we see that time and time again with those that yeah. are flourishing. Um, and I think that that's like the direction, of like the people that will continue. And I think um, influencer term will hopefully shift to mean many different things beyond just a blogger or someone who has a high Instagram following or yeah. a ton of downloads 
for their podcast. You I'm, know, I'm interested in hearing if there's like another term that's on the horizon because I feel like for a while people shifted to content creator because Blogger had a connotation, or like tastemaker, Vanguard. I've yeah. heard it all. Oh my gosh, what's like the weirdest one you think? I think Vanguard. What the hell is a Vanguard? I don't know. There's like a va- video Vanguard award for MTV. That's all oh, I ever is. think of. But <laughs> someone said like Vanguard is like someone who influences but doesn't even try. It just sounds very out. Uh, aloof. I just, I, I just yeah. like wanted to armadillo yeah. roll out of here. That's like the worst <laughs> thing I've ever heard. Isn't the worst word ever? Oh, I no. hope you know that's what I'm calling myself for me. <laughs> Actually, you were the perfect term, though. You don't have to try. You just influence. Period. I think that. Um, as a person with one foot in and one foot out, my favorite type of people that I try to kind of be too as I go into this journey is like, um, I like a little bit of the fourth wall broken. Mm. I, I don't want the, the charade of like yeah. pretending like, you know, this is something that's so cut off from the rest of the world. And I think more than ever, people are so fascinated by what is an influencer and what it means and what goes on behind it. And I love that you're kind of a bridge between the two worlds. And I think that you offer really constructive um, practical advice that you know both from like a, a studious standpoint but also an experiential which I think most time most of the time people are one or the other and um I just think you have so much to offer and this was like so valuable and I'm very oh appreciative gosh. of you doing this Thank I, you. Jen was saying earlier that she was like I feel like I'm talking about myself too much I'm like too much it's very too uncomfortable much. for people so uncomfortable. and it's it's not natural and um but it doesn't mean you, like, you don't have a story worth telling and your input isn't so valuable. And these are the things you hear yourself say in boardrooms all the time that are probably your normal um, that other people really have no insight into. Like mm. I just learned so much and I, none of that I really understood about the process. Mm. Oh, good. Well, I'm glad it was a window in because we like, again, I think influencers are incredible. We're trying to advocate for them as much as possible. And I love having both sides to know that it works, know that... Uh, there's more to come and yeah it's great okay but yeah for all those like accolades yeah we're talking about yourself is so uncomfortable and like I know you're in PR we have a (laughs) right (laughs) it's true we're behind the scenes always though um right it's like you're it's kind of your instinct to be like you're supposed to be behind you're you're supposed to be a ghost yeah and yeah you're building up other people uh but Jen honestly you're a delight and like this was so much fun and uh it's really nice to be able to give me their time I know you don't have a lot of it And I just want this to be worth your while. And I think people will love getting to know you more. Well, thank you, Kate. (laughs) Appreciate it. It was so fun. (laughs) All right, guys. I hope you liked the episode. Did you learn a lot? I like learned a ton. I'm like redoing like my entire strategy. I don't really have one. And honestly, I'm more confused than anybody because like I don't do brand collabs. Like I have podcast advertisers, but I don't monetize my Instagram. I don't know if I want to. I'm like obsessed with figuring out a way to like be a non-annoying influencer because you have other shit going on besides influencing. You know what I mean? Like, that's why I loved that workfluencer term. You know, like the Foster sisters are like, they're writing a TV pilot. They're starring in another show. They're like heads of creative at Bumble, but then they'll like drop a CVS out on Instagram. And I'm like, cool, cool. I'm unbothered. It's, it's, un, it's unintrusive, but it's still <clears throat> a smart business move because I'd argue to not monetize a platform is foolish in, you know, in favor of like saving face or not being annoying. It's just like, I, it's funny. Like I, I need to practice what I preach and like figure out how to like do this thing. Cause, uh, I just, I don't know guys, why am I so annoyed by Tula for a long time? It was at get the mirror. I'm like, no, I'm not going to get this $2,000 workout mirror with this like smart house you know robot telling me to do setups it's terrifying anyway guys (laughs) i hope you liked the episode i thought she had a different perspective than we've heard before i love that she is very steadfast in like 
where she, where she thinks people need to be like responsive engagement wise, where she thinks people need to not qualify everything they're doing and to really stand behind the brand more so than like worry about how they, I, like, I just thought, I don't know. I thought a lot of this was so interesting and helpful and um, I'm just, yeah, I, 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 I hope you did too. All right, guys, I hope you have a great rest of your week. Next week, we're going to, um, depend, depending on how live show audio goes, I just, I really don't like live show podcast episodes. The audio is bad. That doesn't, the experience doesn't translate. Sometimes I think that the people who paid to come, like something's lost, you know, that if it's just available on audio anyway. So I'm trying to figure out a balance. The audio from my Chicago show isn't great, so I didn't use it. And like, Anyway, guys, we'll figure it out. But what I'm what I mean is, regardless, I'm gonna go over some of the decades content next week solo um, that I'll go over tomorrow at Caroline's. So I don't want anyone. I, you know, I, the, the decade. It's not like some material I'm gonna use again. Like I don't think people will still want to be talking about bubble necklaces in you know a few months. Um, but I certainly do. We also are gonna go through some of the Bumble stories and profiles you guys sent to me at podcast to be there in five com. Use Bumble in the subject line uh, as like a Patreon bonus follow up because we read profiles that came up for hers but i want to see like all of your best and worst of and hear some stories i've also heard good stories which i think are uplifting so whenever i can get kelly on the phone to record we have to schedule it we'll do that for patreon um i still have a follow-up gilmore girls coming up on patreon and uh yeah i posted part two of the interview with my mom which i thought was like i loved the interview with my mom it's two parts and I think it probably sheds a lot of light on who I am, too, because she's such a big part of my life and she's such an incredible person. And uh, I don't know. I was excited to see that you guys liked that interview because it was one of my favorites. Uh, and yeah, other than that, join Be There and Vibes, totally casual, breezy Facebook group. Um, and uh, rate, subscribe, review if you don't mind. If you have a minute, five stars will be very cool. And uh, yeah, I think that's it for the stuff I'm plugging. Besides helixsleep.com slash be there in five. And if you're in Nashville, stay tuned for a live show. I'm sure Taylor Swift is just chomping at the bit to attend. <laughs> um, anyway, guys, uh, have a good week. Talk to you soon. Love you so much. This For the outro, I'm just going to play a song that I'm just playing into right now. And even though like it feels weird that it's Whitney, it's like I'm glad it is because it's so beautiful and it deserves to live on further in a modern pop song. But also I'm like, does Steve Winwood care, you know? And um, that song is Higher Love. And, you know. Thanks to the legalization of cannabis in Chicago as of Jan 1. I'm sure a lot of people are experiencing such. Anyway, guys, as always, let me know your thoughts. And I will let you know mine. I'll be there in five, I swear. Oh.